We're back like Paul Newman, except as usual when I say that, we're going to have an episode prior to this. But yes, we're back from our long hiatus. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? What? Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that celebrates weird movies. I am Brad Hefner, and with me as always is... Billy Martell. And this is a very special episode. Once again, we have a guest. I'm so excited. Let me tell you about this young cat. Let me tell you how I met this young cat. <laughs> um, Billy and I were at a screening of The Green Knight. Yes. And someone from behind us was like... I don't know if he greeted you at first. I don't know if he said, like, hey, Billy... Because you knew him prior to this. I think he said, Caliban, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but he was like, hey, can I sit with you guys? And I was like, wow, that's bold. Because <laughs> I didn't know this kid. Uh, right. Yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. young man. He's younger than us by yeah. uh, damn sight. We were watching the movie with him and sort of whispering to each other. It wasn't a very crowded theater. Yeah. And I was just blown away by how much this guy knew about movies. Absolutely. Like for his young age, like what he's seen. All this stuff, I was so impressed. Mm -hmm. And later, I would go on to work with him in a show. You worked with him on a show, a little-known show called Shakespeare's The Tempest. Yeah, a little, little-known indie production. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I worked with him on another little-known show, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Uh, he's a great guy. Just uh, got done performing a wonderful job in The Elephant Man. It's Ian Kiefer. Woo! Hello. Well, I'm honored you. to be here. Ian has brought with him today a movie that... Uh, I'm going to spoil it now before we even get to recommendations that we sure. all love. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> he has brought with him Ryan De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise, which has been a huge uh, missing thing in my in my weird movie knowledge. I only watched it last year. Ian, what is it about Phantom of the Paradise that you... It made you want... You gave me a long list <laughs> of movies that you possibly wanted to talk about. I sort of picked this out of this. But what is it about Phantom of the Paradise to you that made you want to talk about it? So I remember watching this film when I was 14, I believe. Super young <laughs> with some of the things that happen in it. Um, <laughs> but I've always been a fan of literature, a huge bibliophile. So when I learned that there was this movie that takes Faust and Family Opera and, spoiler, picture Dorian Gray and all of that mixed together, I was like, oh my God, I need to see this movie. And I did not, like, from watching it again last night, I did not understand, like, anything that happened in this when I first watched it. <laughs> I was just like, oh, big scary guy. He doesn't like <laughs> So when I rewatched it last night, I, was, I, like, it reaffirmed me completely. I texted Brad. I was like, yes, I am happy I picked this film because it was like, oh, yes, this film is amazing. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, it has a lot in it. And as we talked about recently, you're a big Muppets fan. I am, yes. And Paul Williams stars and wrote the score and book for this film. And he did Rainbow Connection for Muppets too, right? Yes, he did. He did mm -hmm. Rainbow Connection. He also did most of, if not all of the music for a Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, I didn't know that. And he had a great guest appearance on The Muppet Show where he said, for the first the time... word No. But Good. He, he said, Good for Paul Williams. Good for Paul Williams. He, you know what? The man has standards. Yes. Uh, he has class. He has class. That's what it is. That's Classy class. man, our Paul Williams. No, he said, uh, I, I can't believe it. For the first time, I'm the tallest one here. 
And then Sweetums walked out and he said, for the first time, I'm going to cry on national television. <laughs> so very that briefly. Was, that oh, was sorry. one of the things from watching this film. I was like, his villain portrayal is so good as like this short dude. I think I wrote later in my notes, uh, Paul Williams Short King. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Absolutely. That is that is his entire vibe. This film. <laughs> He's a short, short king of the damned. Is this yes. his vibe in this movie? <laughs> Very briefly, if you couldn't tell from the title, this is a Phantom of the Opera story. Very Compo loosely, a composer named Wilson Leach uh, writes a rock cantata, mm. and it is stolen away from him. It's about Faust and stolen away from him by wicked Paul Williams. Things happen where Wilson becomes the Phantom of the Paradise, which is a rock venue. And it's a musical, a quasi-musical, and yeah, that's the gist of it. Oh, so there's only like 10 songs, which blew me away and stuff, but they're all so yeah. they they're, they're incredible. They're, mm -hmm. And again, it's Paul Williams not only stars in the movie, but he also wrote, I think, most of the music, if not all. I think, mm -hmm. yeah. I think, yeah, he definitely wrote all and of the... And he sings a few tracks, too. He definitely wrote and sang a lot of the Phantom himself's music Yeah, uh, in the movie. But as I already said, we all love this film. Yes. Does anyone want to give any general observations at the top about... We already talked to Ian a little bit about why he loves this movie. Sure. But does anyone else have any other... Anything they want to say? Yeah, I had a couple of things. Talking about the vibe of this movie without giving any spoilers for... for people who are might be on the fence just listening to the description it, it is generally called a horror movie when it's described by people sure like a horror comedy maybe but that doesn't really capture what the vibe of the movie is it's more of the 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 best what i kept thinking about when i was watching it was it's the closest thing that i've ever seen to a live action looney tune short where like the 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 timing and the the character writing and and the character performances are just hitting these great musical notes yeah. that are not just in the way of that there's music but just in that in that way we were talking about with Paddington 2 where everything is music absolutely just hit my brain in this in this perfect way where even the main character everyone in this movie is at once fascinating to watch and also just a jerk yeah including the main character like the <laughs> yeah the the even before he becomes the phantom the main character is not a great guy but he's not a great guy in that sort of way that daffy duck is not a great guy but you still kind of want him to succeed yeah and it's and it's, it's but it, him not being a great guy makes it so that the fact that he keeps getting hit in the face with hammers doesn't hurt as much as it otherwise would uh, if if it was like I don't know Paul Newman getting hit in the face with hammers. Oh my and god, and Luke. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he eats uh, fifty hard boiled eggs, <laughs> and then the prisoners just like just hit him with hammers. Give us our eggs back. <laughs> and the other thing I thought was funny was I mentioned that we were doing this movie to my wife Kaylee, and she said it can't be that weird. I've heard of this one. <laughs> <laughs> You make it sound like this is a slapstick. No, just the the timing of of things. There, there's definitely some slapstick humor in the opening, which is when I first started sure. to notice this thing. But no, it's definitely not like as broad a comedy as Looney Tunes are. But the sort of the the again the musicality and the timing with which people like Chuck Jones would 
construct their stories. Okay. I find to be very present in this film. Okay. If that makes Fair. any sense. Mm -hmm. The only thing I want to assert before we get into spoilers and plot mm -hmm. is now granted, I have not seen Rocky horror picture in picture show in 20 years. Right. I watched it as a very young man. Still, I am 100% sure if we ever watch it for the show, mm -hmm. I will like Phantom of the Paradise much better than Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, why do you feel the need to compare these two in particular? Well, Phantom of the Paradise was 74. Okay. Rocky Horror Picture Show was 75. Okay. So they came out very close mm -hmm. together. They're both kind of this... Rocky Horror is a little bit more sci-fi, but they're both mm -hmm. horror, kind of campy musicals sure sure okay i think they definitely could be pit head to head they, they don't they need are, to they are looped together in that a lot of people who like one like the other and, sure. and that sort of thing they're both mm -hmm. like that particular era of midnight camp classics i will i will give you that gotcha and i i think that they're both great but i think in terms of like a story that hangs together phantom of the paradise is the better story i think sure. as far as movies with less rape <laughs> <laughs> Phantom well, of the there, Paradise. There the, there's the couch scene in this. That's right. that is quite a lot of rent. <laughs> True. Yeah. True. Not good, but also different than sneaking into someone's bed mm -hmm. and having sex with them. Sure, sure. I was gonna say yeah. I definitely agree with Brad about the Rocky Horror. Like we can talk about that later as well throughout the thing. But like I compare them a lot too. I believe the state at, at stage adaptation of Rocky Horror was 1973. Um, which is interesting to see how that came first. But like to compare the both, I would say the performances, I mean, I'm thinking like Tim Curry and stuff, those sure. iconic performances might be better, but for story, absolutely. Phantom definitely takes it. I think. And I think that's an appropriate, I think that kind of sums up my thoughts on it as well. So is there anything else you'd like to say, Ian, before we start going into plot and spoilers? I am interested in what, do you guys like Phantom of the Opera? Uh, the musical, the book, or anything? Because that's what I was thinking about when I started the film. I am a huge fan of the book Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. I, I love the musical, and yeah, no, I think I love uh, almost every version of Phantom I've seen. There are some very bad ones that I haven't seen, though. So I haven't, for, for instance, I have not seen Phantom of the Mall the other fan of the opera adaptation from around the same time. I that was eighties. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the Robert Englund's fan of the opera in which it's just Freddie as the fan of the opera. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Was uh, hey, bitch, listen to my opera. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I haven't seen uh, that one where that one director shot his daughter naked for most of the film and had her raped by rats, but you know, Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, not half of these. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I thought it was like a horrible Brandon Lee situation where he oh. shot his daughter. Oh, no. That's where my mind immediately went. No, it's um, it's Dario Argento has this weird thing about shooting his daughter naked in movies. Yeah, that makes sense from just Dario Argento's vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've never seen a Dario Argento movie. I don't know what his vibe is. I've seen Suspiria, I've which seen has a connection. Hey, to Paradise. There we go. And Kevin Bacon. As far as I go with Phantom, I've seen the musical on Broadway. Mm. I've never read the book. I saw the 2000s movie version. I am utterly ambivalent to it. <laughs> <laughs> I like. That's, I could that's not, what the 2000s movie will do to you. I cannot. Sure. I know there's a couple very famous songs from Phantom. Music of the Night. Mm -hmm. Music of the mm -hmm. Night. That's a song. That's a song from um, Phantom. So, yeah, I'm a Phantom super fan. But no, so this is probably 
the definitive version of Phantom of the Opera for me. I have there's there's a, a YouTuber that's been was very popular for a while until she sort of quit YouTube, Lindsay Ellis, who I was a great fan of for a long time. She was a huge fan of the opera fan, and a one would one could say fan of the opera expert. And according to her, this is the greatest movie based on the fan of the opera bar none. It's not in any way close to the original story at all, but it is. Yeah, no, definitely way better than any fan of the opera movie that I've seen, just in terms of a quality film. So, I mean, there's that. This is I'd Lindsay say, Ellis approved. I say I'm a huge fan of like you, Billy. I'm a huge fan of the book, and I, I really like book. the Lon Chaney as a junior or senior, the 1925 senior. film. See, um, yes, it's it's if it's a see, this kid has chops. Oh, he's got chops. <laughs> no, uh, it's yeah, Lon Chaney Senior is is the silent movie actor. Lon Chaney Junior is the really tall guy who was a Wolfman. Okay. Um, mm. this movie for me, as, as a fan of Phantom, improves on the shortcomings of the original family opera, which is I didn't actually feel Fighting for the horse. Phantom. <laughs> I didn't feel for the Phantom as much when I first read or watched it because it's like, I don't know who this guy is, he's creeping around and stuff. But this mm -hmm. movie starts out with you don't start with the Phantom, you start with I think is it Winslow? Winslow Leach. Winslow, Winslow. Leach. It starts out with him and you feel so much compassion for this guy who was scorned by Swan that mm -hmm. I feel so much more for the Phantom for doing these creepy things and killing these people because now I know why the origin of the Phantom is. Sure. Uh, resisting the urge to go on a diatribe about the brilliance of the character arc in the book, but I'm, I'm not going to talk about that because we're talking about Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> the brilliant that. character John Phantom. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> In the book, that's the name, right? That's who he is. Right, yeah, John Phantom. And then John, he, yeah. John Eloise Phantom. He's very embarrassed by his middle name. <laughs> um, that's what drove him crazy. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it. Let's get into As this. As I said, this is 1974. It's Brian De Palma. And if you would have asked me before I looked it up, I'd been like, yeah, this is probably De Palma's first film, second film. This is his eighth film. Really? Yes. Wow. Oh. He has made many, many movies Holy before this. crap. Which makes sense, because this is brilliant. Like, yeah. it's mm -hmm. masterfully directed, written. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of Brian De Palma films recently, including Blowout and... Crap, what was the other one? The really weird one from early in his career. Is it Obsession? No. Dressed to Kill... Damn it. Now um, I feel like a fraud. Sisters, Carrie. Carrie, that's it. I, that weird, obscure movie, <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't... It is a very weird movie if you if you watch it again. But, like, yeah, Carrie and Blowout and this. Uh, he's, he's quickly, like, rising in the ranks of, of my favorite weird directors. He has his moments. When he's, uh, when he's on, he's really on. He I is. still don't really like the first Mission Impossible movie, but, you know. Okay. Whatever. Ian, I don't like Scarface. Oh, I was gonna say I don't like Scarface. Scarface um, is too long by a half. Oh my one. god, yeah. Like Al Pacino has some good it. parts, but oh, yeah, because um, it's like four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I love Blowout. Um, Blowout is yeah. fantastic. It is. I love Blowout. I watched Carrie when I was a kid, probably younger than even this, but uh, yeah, I like that one. Um, speaking of Carrie, I actually have a Carrie um connection. Yeah. Uh, Sissy Spacek, who was Carrie in the film, she was mm -hmm. the film set dresser, and uh, her husband was the production designer on the film. For and this so, for this movie? Yes. yes, for this film. And she awesome. actually auditioned for Phoenix and didn't get it and everything. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. Well, I mean, I, it worked out, I guess. <laughs> yes, very much. 
because this i mean the sets in this movie are fucking fantastic and she was amazing as carrie so <laughs> sissy spacex seems to get a lot of work just by being around oh yeah i feel like that's how she got her role in badlands like uh, yeah. Terrence malik's breakout yeah. movie no that does seem to be sissy spacex whole thing and She's then just there and then she got her role in the ring two based on being carrie so you know yeah yeah we begin and here's the movie's big flaw okay. in my opinion Okay. We begin with a Rod Serling narration, a la mm -hmm. The Twilight Zone. So good. Brilliant idea. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert, we do not get a closing narration. Oh, that's true. We don't. We oh, get I a great song. About that. We get my second favorite song in the movie, but before that, we should have got, got a little bit of a stinger by Rod Serling. That, that yeah, I, I hearing Rod Serling's voice immediately made me so happy. Oh yeah. It's a great touch. And the movie won me over before any shots could happen on screen just by doing this. And I, I love the, the kind of narration that he has. It sounds like he's narrating a back of the behind the music documentary kind of situation. <laughs> yes. Just sort of yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> 20 years before it was a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, no, that is brilliant. Rod Serling um, lives in the twilight zone. He can see the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's beyond time and space, but here's something I wondered mm -hmm. at this point, uh, twilight zone had stopped producing new episodes for 10 years. Yes. Hmm. Twilight zone feels so ingrained in my idea of culture, yeah. your idea of culture. Absolutely. Ian, I don't know. Oh, a huge twilight zone fan. Of I course, got the whole collection right here on my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I wonder if was it in '74? Was this sort of just like was this like a really clever reference? Was this sort of hackneyed? Like, right? Like this, how 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 did it play at the time? Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I I guess was was Night Gallery on the air yet? I'm not sure. I oh, think yeah. that just the fact that they that not only did they want to have another. Uh, anthology show in the 70s with Rod Serling doing the narration and Rod, and that they made Rod Serling do the narration despite the fact that Rod Serling has always hated doing narration. Oh, did he? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. He, he only he only did the narration for The Twilight Zone because they could not get anyone else. Because they would hide <laughs> his cigarettes if he did they it. Would... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, would you do it for a ciggy snack? <laughs> but no, I, I think that just the fact that that was the case, I, I think that at this point they probably were. He was all, probably already just as iconic as we think of him as. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. But Rod, as I call him, right? <laughs> you said you guys are buddies. We are still <laughs> to this day. <laughs> His corpse is in my basement. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I go down. We play uh, Tetris Attack competitively, <laughs> and I always win because I'm really good. Right. And he's a moldering corpse. <laughs> but uh, Rod tells us about Swan, mm -hmm. the world's greatest music producer. And he's looking for the next big thing that will herald the birth of his new venue, The Paradise. Now, I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. Right out the gate, we get my favorite song in the movie. Mm. Uh, really? Yes. Yeah, that okay. surprises me yes. a lot. It's a very good movie. The, and it's a very good song. Very the song, first yeah. time I watched this, mm -hmm. this was really the only song that stood out to me. Hmm. Interesting. And this time I liked the music a lot better. Yeah. But this one was, it, it. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it, but I love this song called Goodbye, it, Eddie. Goodbye. It's pretty great. 
It's yeah. sung by the Juicy Fruits, yeah. a 50s throwback band. And I know what you're asking yourselves, dear listeners. And the answer is yes. We do get to hear Rod Serling say the name, the Juicy Fruits. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we learned that Swan is single-handedly responsible for mm-hmm. the Juicy Fruits through Swan are responsible for the 50s nostalgia wave of the 70s. <laughs> so in a way, in a way, Swan is responsible for happy days. There you go. Yeah, there you, there go. you go. <laughs> Swan's greatest creation, Henry Winkler. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! I do kind of want to see Henry Winkler play the uh, Winslow Leach now, though. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing. He'd be great. He'd be incredible. He's great but in anything. The song "Goodbye Eddie Goodbye" is about Eddie Mitty, born in Jersey City, mm-hmm. whose father like just cream pied his mom and then was out the door. That's in the lyrics. <laughs> I'm not being crass. No, it's in the lyrics. Oh that is god. true. But his sister needs an operation so the only thing eddie can think of is if i die my record will go to number one and we'll have money for the operation because he needs an overnight success in order to get the amount of money that they need for the operation yes Yes. now there's a a weird quirk to this song where about halfway through the (laughs) the lead singer stops singing and starts just narrating and his speaking voice is like someone sort of doing like mm-hmm. a stereotypical Mexican cholo type, <laughs> and it's <laughs> so bizarre. He's like, so we're... I have it written down when it does that, and I'm like, oh, this song's jamming. WTF is this accent? <laughs> <laughs> because these are very white men. Yes. Um, and he's like. His sister, Mary Louise, <laughs> with a terrible disease. <laughs> uh, it's like half Mexican, half pirate. And here's something that I cannot take credit for this. YouTube user Reed Heidler points out that this opening song establishes a main theme of the movie. Yes. Which is that you can trade human life for success. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I also I have a theory about what... Well, one, the song slaps. Like, like, just like I don't think that this is either Ian or mine's uh, favorite song of the of the movie, based on our mutual reaction <laughs> yeah. to you saying that. But it absolutely slaps. It's great. I also notice maybe this is part of why you like it so much. I don't know. The arc of this song did kind of remind me of the best death metal band. Okay, the Mountain Goat song. Sort of, I guess. Just sort of like this story, this story song about like people who were who were trying to be big, and then and and the tragedies that befell yeah. them, sort of thing. It it reminded me of Mountain Goats when I was listening to it, not in the vibes or like the musicality of it, but just like the sort of the tragic story. Gotcha. Any thoughts on this song, Ian? So you guys have covered how great the song is. I'd like to talk about the people in the background. Sure. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I the only thing I can think of is when the guy's going to the accent, the guitarist takes out his cigarette, runs <laughs> over to the drummer, and lets him smoke his cigarette. And yeah. they just start beating each other up. And it's amazing. <laughs> I d- I didn't notice that, but I did notice that uh the the co one of the other singers in the band just starts running over and just randomly assaulting a woman in the audience. Well, first he assaults a man. Oh, okay. And then in the other one assaults a woman in a different way. 
in a different way and then like comes back with her bra. But I did notice the bassist just like having a cigarette. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that he's like has to run over and, and help his buddy out with a cigarette. But as they're performing, we see Winslow Leach, very gorilla style, glue his sign over the Juicy Fruits banner, Winslow Leach at the piano. Yeah. And, and I mean, immediately you get the sense, like a sense for Winslow Leach's character. He's so, again, this sort of daffy duckness of him. He's just like, he's, it's not just that he's like, oh, I'm I'm here too. Uh, he's, no, he's better than the Juicy he's, Fruits. Not only is he here, he's he's a real artist and he's like angrily slathering the glue over this thing with this, this face of like, I'll show them, I'll show them all. After mm -hmm. the Juicy Fruits perform, they look up to a dark balcony and receive a few claps from white gloved hands. Mm -hmm. There's like a few seconds of silence between when they stop performing and when the claps happen. And there's a sort of sense of like a Roman emperor. Yes. At the Colosseum. It's like, are the thumbs up or thumbs up? Will the juicy fruits mm -hmm. live today? Sort of, wow. sort of vibes. The juicy fruits always live. Oh. They're the cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> they no, they they truly are. I was just uh, attending Blobfest not too long ago, so this movie starting off with rockabilly vibes right off the bat was really good for me. Oh well, <laughs> wait till we do Six String Samurai. You're gonna get all the rockability, rockability you can handle. Oh, I think rockability. I think you got it right the first time. <laughs> gonna have all the rockability I can. <laughs> In that same balcony, a man named Arnold Philbin bemoans the loss of a singer named Annette. Mm. Arnold is gross and sucks. <laughs> He's he, his last name Philbin is actually named after the actress who played Christine, the main love interest in the original Phantom of the Opera in the Phantom of the Opera silent movie yes. with Launching Senior that Ian mentioned earlier. And yes, he sucks so hard. He is. <laughs> he might be worse than Swan. Arnold is played by George Momoli, who Wikipedia describes as corpulent. Oh, I know. <laughs> Like, Wikipedia. imagine what, what did he ever do to Wikipedia? Corpulent. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. He asked the other man, the clapping man, Swan, to break a net. Swan says there's more important things. Meanwhile, Winslow has taken the stage and has begun to sing and play piano. Swan want, watches, and Winslow is played by William Franklin Finley. Before we get too far here, do we ever find out who Annette is? She, it's not mm -hmm. important. Yeah, she's just like some singer that they've dealt it, with in the past. It's right? just there to illustrate that, like, they can bring people up and how yeah gross Philbin is and terrible. Uh, yeah, and, and how how gross and just sort of disgusting the whole music industry is, and how much power Swan has that he can be like ruiner. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like Phoenix Absolutely. 1.0 is kind of how I read that. Like the original Phoenix before, like everything happens to Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think that's right. There have been a lot of Phoenixes. Yeah, and absolutely. a lot of Annettes. I yeah, I I the the whole vibe of the scene, especially with the fact that like Phoenix is is not seen. You don't see Phoenix's face for this entire sequence. Yes. You just kind of are looking directly at Philbin. It felt very much like uh, the opening of the Godfather to me. Yeah, I think that was mm -hmm. definitely supposed to. I don't. Recall when Godfather came out. Not off the top of my head, but I know that De Palma and Coppola are considered part of the same sort of like film students uh, coming up. Makes sort sense. Of wave that happened in the 70s. Also, uh, Phoenix's record company is called Death Records, and its symbol mm -hmm. is a dead bird, which I thought was just incredible. Yeah. It's so great. you said about the dead bird. Um, I actually have yeah. this as well. Do, could you guys want to talk about the bird's symbolism in the film? 
that's something I thought of bringing. You got Swan, and then you got yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. You got the dead bird logo. Um, mm-hmm. The Phantom's costume is very bird-like. It's, he oh. looks like a space owl. He did. <laughs> And uh, Beef wears a tail. And one of the things, he has like a little duck tail thing. I didn't notice. I did not notice that either. There's a lot of birds. There's an awful lot of birds. And obviously (laughs) birds known for singing. Right. Yes, yeah. It's a nice visual leitmotif. And known for screwing each other over with recording contracts. Exactly. Right. Yes. Very avian activity. Good looking out, Ian. Yeah. Oh, thank you. What do you think about uh, Winslow's first song, our first introduction to Faust? I love it. Yeah. I, I absolutely I love, love this song. The impression I got on my first watch was that we hear this song over and over mm-hmm. and over again, which we really don't. We hear we hear it a couple times. Varietals on this yes. song. But I was yeah. like, oh, this is the only song we ever hear, which right. is not true. No. Uh, so that's something that changed for me on this watch. I also, from what I understood, like this this part of it was a part that uh, Paul Williams took very seriously when he was, I don't, again, I don't know if he wrote all of the music for the movie, but he definitely wrote the Faust cantata and the their varietals uh, yeah. therein. And uh, he was essentially tasked by Brian De Palma, I want you to write a super meaningful song along this theme, mm-hmm. and then I want you to rip it apart over oh, the course of various versions wow. of it, each just yeah, more and in- more soulless. Increasingly soulless and bad. And Paul Williams was like, that sounds like an incredible thing <laughs> to do. My God, Paul Williams do this. stepped up on a couple lo- phone books. <laughs> Not a deal. And he did an incredible job, but apparently, like it was like a, a real sort of like head spin for him to try and figure out how to do that. I bet it was a lot of fun for a composer, yeah. lyricist. I think Paul Williams is a genius. I'll just say, yeah, it. he's great. Yeah. Uh, I thought this song was just okay. Mm-hmm. Like I don't mind mm-hmm. it, but it's not my favorite. It's got a very Bob Dylan-y sort of like, or maybe Billy Joel kind of vibe to it, where where uh, Winslow is not the greatest singer in the world. He's fine, no. but he's not he's not incredible, <sighs> and he's you know he's just real, but he's really put his heart and soul into these like Joker and the Thief style lyrics. A little bit, uh, a couple notes down, I referred to him as a mid-tier Warren Zavon. I really like the song, not as much as some other ones, but I find it really interesting that this is actually William Finley singing. For this song, yeah, awesome. But when he, when the other Faust comes in, it's Paul Williams because when he changes yes. his voice. So I find it interesting, like that whole thing. Uh, yeah. You talked about uh, Warren Zevon. I said William Finley's doing a full-on Stevie Wonder impression in this song. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, because he keeps he keeps like just sort of like he's he's really into the music, yeah. man. He's really yeah. into it. He's feeling it. Yeah. Um, my main problem with this is. Mm-hmm. Once one loves it, yes. he's enraptured. He's like this. This is this isn't the voice to open the 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 paradise, but this is the music. This is to the open music. The paradise. But this is this is apparently the perfect song to open his rock palace. Like <laughs> it's not a bad yeah, song. It's yeah. not my my favorite off the soundtrack, but it's sure. like. It's not a rocker. Like, it's not like yeah, fucking yeah. Goodbye Eddie, the Shanana bullshit rocks harder <laughs> than Faust. Like, it's it's like it's like hearing the original version of I Took a Pill in Ibiza and being like, that's going to open my dance club. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my, 
the other awesome. thing that distracted me was like clearly Winslow is not a part of this show. Yeah. But security is just like, yeah. No, let him play. <laughs> yeah, I'm super confused by that. Is this like an open mic night? Is he is he crashing their party? What the fuck he is He brought his own here? piano. <laughs> <laughs> Much like a Looney Tune. Acme instant piano, just add water. Whoop. There it is. Um, about William Finley, he's yeah. really good in this, in my opinion. Like, oh, yeah, everyone's great, I think. What else has he been in? I've never seen him in anything else. I looked I looked up pretty much everybody's credits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And unless I like recognize something, I didn't really note it. So he hasn't been in a lot. Like he's He's from what I understand, he was friends with Brian De Palma and a cut like maybe one other very significant director. And he was in a lot of their stuff, not usually in the lead role, usually like voice credits and stuff. Yeah, but like, yeah, not not a huge career, but there were like certain people who really liked him, kind of like the guy who played Eraserhead. Jack Nance. Jack Nance. Yeah. A, a lot of Lynch stuff, not a lot <laughs> outside of that. And that spanking porn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Jack Nance was in like a spanking fetish video. Okay. We spanked a lady. New episode, boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> by the by the rules of the charter of this podcast, now that we've mentioned it, we have to cover it. So <laughs> get David Lynch on for that episode. <laughs> Let me tell you, Jack Nance could spank with the best of them. I said Jack. Jack, I see your form in the movie. I need to feel it. Yes, uh, David David Lynch shadow directed the the. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been rewatching. Uh, this is completely off topic for a second, but That's I've been rewatching right. uh, Gravity Falls, and I learned that David Lynch was asked to play Bill Cipher, really, and said uh, no. And he said, "When did the Cleveland show?" What a bitch. Okay. <laughs> Instead of playing I, Bill Cipher, which is a Lynch impression, I never really read it as that, but then the uh, creator said that, and I was like, okay, sure. I just lost a little bit of respect for David Lynch. Right? <laughs> Imagine him as Bill Cipher. That would have been great. I honestly, I haven't gotten to the point in Gravity Falls where Bill Cipher shows up. Oh, I know, okay. It's okay. I know that he exists, but I, I, yeah, no, that's that's annoying. That's annoying. Yeah, that's <laughs> troublesome. Yeah, and you should watch Gravity Falls. It's I, great. I, I'm it's, I'm in the middle of it. I haven't gotten to the Bill Cipher part yet. So Philbin goes to talk to Winslow. Swan's interested. He says. And Winslow is excited because that means the whole world will, he will hear his music. Yes. Arnold lies and says, that's the game plan exactly. <laughs> but they need to polish his work. Right. Yeah. And his work is a 200 to 300 page cantata. <laughs> First off, very wide margin. <laughs> which is not giving me a lot of faith in Winslow's grasp on reality already. <laughs> That he's like, yeah. yeah, it's between two and three hundred pages. Yeah, <laughs> Second, Internet Dictionary defines cantata as not a delicious Mexican dish, <laughs> but as a narrative piece of music yeah. of medium length, medium length, not the fucking Wagner's ring cycle <laughs> with instrumental accompaniment. Right. right. Also... At 200 to 300 pages, it's unfinished. <laughs> and now I'm... I, I'm rattling off these details like I'm zinging the movie. Right. But I am 100% sure that Brian De Palma was intentional in all of these details. 
I, I'm willing to believe that for sure. I'm willing to buy that. I, I it, honestly, it, it's weird because I, you listen to the song in, in the movie and it's, it's, it's a good song. It lasts again, about three minutes, like, yeah. a, like a normal pop song. And then he has that whole thing where he's like, it's between 200 to 300 pages. And mm-hmm. it's like, da, 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 da. this is a rock opera meant to take an entire week. You know, that's that sort of thing. And I, I guess, so believed in the reality of the film that I, when I was listening to the soundtrack today, I assumed that the, that song was actually like a seven minute <laughs> oh, wow. dirge and was only three minutes. And I was like, wow, the, I, I so believed in the reality of who Winslow Leach was and what he wanted the song to be that I just in my head edited this movie, this song into a 12 minute masterpiece. I'd say the little bit of Winslow we get, we learn a lot about him, like obviously about oh, his yeah genius and music virtuoso and that whole thing but like he freaks out on that guy and like you can see he his does. finger is at the drop of a pin and everything he does which we're about to get to yeah also uh it's a Faust story yes great not enough of those <laughs> winslow's ultimate point is he can't just like break off some songs to give to Swan. No. Arnold, and as you mentioned, he's about to mm-hmm. freak out on Philbin because mm-hmm. Philbin says, Oh, the juicy fruits are gonna love it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Winslow like presses them against the wall. And again, this is a man that Wikipedia has described as corpulent. <laughs> Imagine Winslow's raw strength. God, I feel so bad for George Mumboli. <laughs> That's his like it even lists like his weight. Oh my like, God, that's aw. that's kind of shitty. It's super shitty. Yeah, Who edits? Yeah. Like, does George Mamoli's childhood bully edit the Wikipedia page? <laughs> Can you imagine a director with like a big cigar in the mouth? I need a corpulent actor. <laughs> Makes him do the truffle shuffle as the a whole, casting couch thing. The whole tr- <laughs> the whole truffle shuffle bit was based almost note for note on the casting process for this character. <laughs> they wouldn't even open the door to the studio until you did it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, but what Winslow, a Winslow is the only one who can sing Faust. Yes. Mm-hmm. Arnold says he thinks they're going to produce his first album. Flash forward one month. I love that editing right there. Like, There's some parts of the editing we'll get into probably later. I don't the editing is probably my least favorite with like the writing, directing music. It's yeah. dance, whatever. But mm-hmm. I love that editing where we're going to do your album in a one. And then it's one month later. It's, it's, like, oh, it's a very God. classic. It's a uh, yeah. rug pull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 yeah. It's, it's that I'm not going to wear a dress. I'm not going to wear a dress cut. And the guy's wearing a dress yep. waving yeah. at the enemy soldiers, you know. Now, I want here's where I noted that the logo of death records with the bird on its back yes is very similar to the cover of chuck polinick's book lullaby oh coincidence Mm. yes almost assuredly (laughs) (laughs) i i i can't get over how much i love death records because it it both it seems like it could be a real record label and at the same time is such a great send-up of the record industry yes. in 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 the name and having like again because as as Ian just pointed out all these characters are birds of some kind or, mm-hmm. or one kind or another and to have like a dead bird it's like it's just a corpse of one, any of these characters in the logo itself. Oh my God, Winslow is a space owl because he's a creature of the night. Oh, 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 oh shit. <laughs> He, he, he is vengeance. He is the knight. He is Owlman. 
But uh, actually, the... I just realized Grant Morrison's version of Owl Man from his run on Justice League looks scary similar to Winslow Leach as the Phantom in this movie. Knowing Grant Morrison, <laughs> it is almost assuredly a reference. Uh, my, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, probably. I was gonna say. Well, that, I was gonna say I have some comments on his helmet, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. sure. Winslow goes to. Swan Song Enterprises. So interesting thing. Yes. Swan Song Enterprises, original name of Swan's record label. Yes. But they ran into conflict because Swan Song is the name of Led Zeppelin's label. Oh, yes. yes. So they had to change it to Death Records. Which again just makes me love Death Records even more that it was such a last minute choice and it's yes. so perfect. There is one incredibly funny moment that happens we'll later. Get to it. We'll get to it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We learn that Winslow has not been in contact with Philbin or Swan during the month. Mm -hmm. What's more, his file at the receptionist desk has in big bold letters it says <laughs> never to be seen. <laughs> which is such a great gag. This is, is where I started to notice the Looney Tunes-esque nature of things. Okay, I can see it where there. It's like, if you imagine, like, like instead of Winslow Leach, you have Porky Pig. Like, it's like I, I, I just want to see, like, uh, Mr. Jack Warner. He, he told me he, he produced my cartoons. And, <laughs> like, oh, and then they shoot him out of a cannon or something, you know? It, and it, yeah. I, immediately after she checks the file, it cuts to him smiling. He's being ejected. Well, it cuts to him smiling at her. She smiles at him, and then he's ejected. At that point, again, it's that it's that sort of like the build up, and then there's the pitch. The timing is 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 perfect. And I, at this point, I wrote a uh, note down: the vibes of this movie are immaculate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Winslow is promptly ejected, as mm -hmm. I mentioned, but he follows Swan's car to his mansion. Which we will learn is called the Swanage, and I have some, I have some interesting <laughs> facts it. about Swanage later. Okay, not the building, the uh, <laughs> place in Dorset, England. Oh, god! I'm surprised that his car isn't called the Swanmobile. Oh, I was gonna say Billy brought up uh, Looney Tunes for the the when he's getting ejected. When he comes in, are we we're to the point where he gets onto the estate? If we're in there, when he comes in, he hides behind a tree. When the guards are coming, and he like right. tries to hide there, I was like, "Oh, that was that." Like I saw, I was like, "Oh, that's so Looney Tunes." Like yeah. someone just hiding oh, there. That. That's a great. That's a great bit. That's fantastic. Yeah. What's up? I don't understand this note. <laughs> <laughs> not only do I not understand it, it's so confusing that I don't like. I can't even work backwards. R read it out, and we'll see if we, <laughs> yeah, can, come if on. we can figure it out here. But he okay. It's a joke to myself about the lack of clarity of my use of pronouns. Okay. So here's the note verbatim. <laughs> this is all staying in, by the way. But he follows Swan's car to his mansion. Yes. Swan's mansion, not Winslow's. <laughs> it's my belief that in this universe, in the universe of the movie, everyone except prisoners live in mansions. <laughs> I just apparently decided to have a little bit of fun with myself. Uh, and this is how I'll like text some people is I'll like over clarify what yeah. I'm saying. So I apparently just did that in my notes. Brad, Brad comes up with bits at a speed that even he cannot keep up with. Which uh, usually when we have guests, we don't do as many bits. Sure. Because we're chattering a bit more. We hear another song that the captions tell me is 
also by the Juicy Fruits, even though it sounds more like average 70s folk rock. Yes. Still a good song about meeting the devil. Yes. I, yes. I like this song. It's only like a, a two-second song snippet, but it's great. Yeah. Inside, Winslow finds a lot of women lined up to audition. Mm -hmm. Winslow approaches one woman as she practices, like a creep would do. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Creepy in this scene. Yeah, it's so creepy. creepy. He's, he's like, hey, you're singing my song. <laughs> I'm the composer of that. <laughs> he's he's a real Norman Bates type, which he doesn't even have proof of, and sounds like a line. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I it, have it here a gullible Queen Phoenix, where she's just like, yeah, no, you wrote that, definitely. <laughs> I also love just just the just the presumption. The presumption, like, like coming up to this woman who's like trying for an audition, like very few people make it through in the music industry. And, and she's like really trying. She wants to get this right. And he comes up and he's like, sing that again. And, she, <laughs> and she's like, uh, excuse me. He's like, just do it. <laughs> you motherfucker. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, no. And, <laughs> and I'm going to say it now. Go for it. Uh, Jessica Harper, who I assume did her own singing. I'm not sure. She's she the did. lady I from looked Suspiria. It up. She is the lady from Suspiria. Mm -hmm. I looked it up. Probably. She did. Oh, wonderful. Because I loved her singing so much. And I was like, is that She's her? She's great. It's so yeah, good. She is a good great. singer. But there are a lot of good singers in the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like Winslow, like, we're meant to, Winslow's idea is like, oh, she gets the music. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the vibe I get is Winslow just likes dark-haired ladies. I yeah. <laughs> if she would have sang like the lowest spoiler, but if she would have sang later, like the other song she does in the in the movie oh, is the one that made right. me love. If she did that, then I would be completely on board and be like, okay, now I see why he's into the music. She kind yeah. of sings like everyone else is. Yeah, but in, granted, this, in this scene, yeah. Grant, she's just sort of like practicing, warming up. She's not really performing, right? But which is I think lends be... credence to the idea that. Winslow sort of just creeping more than anything. Yeah, you got yeah. a lot of blondes, not a lot of dark-haired ladies, and Winslow is sort of like, "Hey, you sound good. You really get my music. Also, you're a sexy lady." Yeah, <laughs> is this, this sort of a sort of running thing in any version of the Phantom that where you can hear the music in it? Uh, so, mm -hmm. not the book, but is that Christine? Many of them. In the book, the idea that the Phantom is a sympathetic character is kind of an end-of-book twist. Most of it, he's just kind of a serial killer. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, I guess he was just very lonely. You know, so that's sort of a twist at the end of the book. But most <laughs> versions that have been made since then... So the Phantom is just an incel? Absolutely. That is, okay. That is who, I see why you love this book now. That is... <laughs> of incels because Raul's an incel too. Oh yeah, no, Ra Raul Raul's a total incel. Oh fucking Raul, I'm part of this discussion. <laughs> Persian, Brad, what do you think about the Persian? Oh, the, the Persian, my favorite kind of rug. <laughs> Look at us talking about Phantom of the Opera, the book. But yeah, the entire book is just Christine desperately trying to survive caught between two horrible incels. But in, in most versions where you can hear it, hear the music, they take more of the Phantom side with things and tell more of his side of the story. Yeah. And in all of these, you're supposed to get come away with this idea that Christine is this amazing, beautiful, incredible singer. But 
you can only cast a human being to sing any song yeah. and human beings can only sing as good as human beings can. So there's always this sort of, of thing where like people are watching these, these movies or listening to these, this music. And it's like, I guess Sarah Brightman's fine. You know, yeah. like that sort of thing. I do. And I do think that it does come down to at the end of the day, again, the original phantom, huge asshole, a creep and an incel and i i think that that's probably the better take for the character in the book and in this movie is just yeah. that like oh my god pretty woman that i'm attracted to is singing my music she must be incredible she is also yeah. good but yeah. like yeah yeah essentially my point yeah the main takeaway <laughs> is that while winslow is creeping being like that's my music <laughs> phoenix i believe rightly says your name's not on it. Because, obviously, Swan has erased all traces of Winslow Leach. Of course. As being the mm -hmm. originator. Mm -hmm. I guess he found it in a basket among the reeds. <laughs> this element of the Phantom being a fairly normal, if uh, sort of ragey dude uh, who has a piece of music that he wrote stolen from him and then goes crazy is an element that was introduced into the story of the Phantom of the Opera in the 1940s version starring Claude Rains oh. uh, and was adapted into this version of the film. Look at you knowing things. Yes. Well, Brown, you said uh, Winslow's being creepy. I wrote down this line. I'm pretty sure this is his. I would never let my personal desires affect my aesthetic judgment. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I love that line. Oh, right? And that is a line. <laughs> That is that is some of the most I don't know like cult. it's just this pretentious yes this pretentious like yeah. something like, like, uh, like something that like even I mean Billy when we did Tempest like what yes. Ferdinand would do to try to get with a girl or something it'd be something like a guy would oh my like, god a yes. Shakespearean character try to get with a girl with <laughs> absolutely it's just absolutely. this like it's just a person like oh I'm so deep. Yes, yeah. so that's, that's exactly what it is. Oh, I'm so deep. That's exactly what um, it is. It's like I, I wrote a poem for you, kind of, kind of energy. And here's a great bit of fly in the ointment, where Phoenix, instead of being like, "Oh, this is amazing, this is amazing," she's like, "Hey, can you help me get into the chorus?" Yes, <laughs> right. It was great, which is a great bit of character. She is not made into this like Madonna. Yeah, she mm -hmm. is a person who wants to succeed in show business. I I love the character of Phoenix so much because at the end of the day, no matter how much Winslow Leach is again Madonna projecting, projecting this, this sort of Christine esque virgin whore complex onto her, at the end of the day, Phoenix is just Phoenix. She she's, wants to succeed in show business. She's just some at person. Every turn. Yeah, she wants she wants to further her career. She wants to be a big time singer. And I I love that she never loses sight of that. That that's yeah. just that's that's what she's that's what she's about. Um, I found it interesting that when I looked up, like I think Jessica Harper is great in this. I've only oh, yeah, seen absolutely. her in Suspiria. I love Suspiria. It's one of the other films I like uh, gave to Brad for this. I love that film. But Linda Ronstadt was supposed to be the original, and I cannot see that. <laughs> Who, uh, help me well, out. Linda, Linda Ronstadt. Ronstadt was a singer in the seventies. Okay, I can't think of it like any of her. She's not hits. an actress. No, yeah, just she's a singer and an actress. Just no. a pop singer. Yeah. Wow, I think no. they went with the right choice. But yeah, also absolutely. an attractive, dark-haired lady. Mm. So there's a theme. Uh, Brian oh, De Palma. There's a theme. 
This movie uh, was directed by Ron Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> Winslow tries to get into the auditions, but he is stopped by a man who looks like Greaser Rich Evans. <laughs> you said that, and now I can't imagine what this guy looks like. I can only think of Greaser Rich Evans. He looks oh, like that, buddy. <laughs> All I think of is Rich Evans in like a Grease production where like he's snapping <laughs> and he's like singing Summer Lovin' and something. <laughs> For whatever reason, you said that, and I immediately imagine Rich Evans as Rizzo. I'm pregnant! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> However, through sneakery, Winslow follows his new singer friend. And we see what kind of audition it really is. Mm. Philbin is just having a big orgy. A big mm. old rape orgy on a couch. It's literally just like a, a little broom closet with a couch in it. They throw a woman down. He jumps on top of her. And then we don't see what happens after that. But we can imagine. Not quite as traumatizing uh, because this movie is a little bit lighter than Last Night in Soho. But similar vibe. Yes. Yeah. It's the casting couch. It's the casting couch. It's yeah. the famous uh, casting couch. But this is a casting circular bed. Winslow is ejected by Greaser Rich Evans and Hollywood Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> we see. I a... love these new Batman villains we're creating today. <laughs> oh, this is great. You heard of Hollywood Hulk Hogan? Just wait for Hollywood Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> He's got a smoke a joint and crush a beer can on his head. We see a bunch of ladies on a big circular bed mm -hmm. that would make Austin Powers proud. <laughs> Being monitored by a CC camera, uh, the ladies begin to engage with each other mm -hmm. lesbianly. Because they know that Swan when, likes to watch. Swan likes to watch. Yeah. As is as is repeatedly brought up, Swan has everything, every building that he owns under constant surveillance. Yes. And he's constantly watching everything that goes on. A door opens, smoke billows out. It's Swan. Ooh. <laughs> What's this? Winslow Leach has somehow disguised himself as a lady. Again, very Looney Tunes. Very Looney Tunes, I'm telling you. Uh, snuck his way in. Oh also, my God, what and a great bit. We finally get our first good look at Swan. As we mentioned, Swan is played by Paul Williams, a huge songwriter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In addition to what we mentioned, he wrote and scored Bugsy Malone. I was going to bring that up because I was supposed to be in a production of Bugsy Malone as Bugsy Malone, directed oh. by a friend of all three of ours, Derek Scott. Sure. Um, that didn't turn out, but that's kind of uh, everything I thought of when I saw Paul Williams. I was like, oh, that's that guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't well, seen Bugsy Malone. I need to. You need to watch it too. <laughs> it's very big in British culture. Apparently, yeah, Bugsy, age. Apparently Bugsy Malone is, is just like a huge uh, blank space for all of us because I haven't seen it either. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it's a big. I the first my first exposure to it was uh, an oblique reference in the Simon Pegg Jessica Stevenson show directed by Edgar Wright, Spaced, mm. uh, where there's a reference to Bugsy Malone. I was like, what is this? Oh, a musical about. The gangster Bugsy Malone with all children. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. But yeah, it has oh, like Scott. Oh, sorry. It has like Scott Bayo yeah. in it. Jodie Foster. Uh, oh. Scott Bayo. So yeah, Scott Bayo is Bugsy Malone, and jo Jodie Foster is Tallulah in it and stuff. What the hell? But before, like, Jody I mean, Jodie Foster had such a weird childhood. Well, such yeah, she was in like Taxi Driver, obviously, as a child prostitute. Yeah. And then she probably went to Bugsy Malone, and then she's like, and then I don't know when, but then uh, you got Signs of the Lambs, and you got all this, and like, yeah, she's had an incredible career. But she most has. importantly, 
Paul Williams is the lyricist for Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Yes! My favorite thing among my favorite things. It's one of my... <laughs> I love Emmett it's Otter. It's great! It's so fucking good. It's so I good. have no idea what this is. It's, <laughs> oh, man. It's it's one of the greatest... So, the Muppets have made a dozen Christmas things. Jim okay. Henson has made a dozen. Jim, that's true. This is not specifically Muppets. Even though there are Muppets in it, they well, they're puppets. It's it's and, a it's a Muppet production, but there are no Muppet characters in it aside from I think a Kermit the Frog cameo at the very beginning. Maybe, uh, but it's it's just it's not a story involving any of the Muppet characters. It's just Emmett Otter and his friends and his friends and his mother trying to win a battle of the bands in their hometown, and it has the music in it is absolutely incredible. It's, yeah, because it's all It's only it's like 30 minutes long. I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It's a great I'm have to watch this thing. Like tonight. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do I, it. I, I do love it. it. Christmas in July. It's, <laughs> it's like my favorite Christmas thing. One of my favorite Christmas things. Uh, other than After seasons of beat. Yeah. Seasons of belief. Yeah. If we ever do Emmett Otter, we have to have Spring on to talk about it. I was going to say we we'll probably need to have Kaylee on on it too, because that's like a huge we thing. We should for her. do our we're, first four-person episode. We're gonna have to have a whole chorus of people <laughs> the whole crew ian's gonna come in because he'll have seen it by then yeah sure well this will be our christmas extravaganza oh my year. god yeah this year um anyone who's not talking at that moment will just be humming christmas carols in the background for ambiance there we go river bottom nightmare band. oh my god so good <laughs> so Swan. weirdly metal emma daughter's <laughs> uh, joke <laughs> christmas swan who because he's played by Paul Williams, is a tiny Paul Williams man. Yes. Who looks like an upper middle aged lesbian. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, has Winslow ejected and beaten. Mm -hmm. And then two cops, maybe the only black people we see in this movie. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably. probably. The only two prominent ones. Mm -hmm. yeah. Find Winslow, plant drugs on him. Mm hmm. Oh, how the tables have turned. Oh. <laughs> so it's now the the aftermath of realizing that I said I was an incel on a recording uh, and this are now the two most uncomfortable moments I've had today. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Usually, <laughs> No, I know what you mean. Usually white cops are planting drugs on black people. No, I get the joke. <laughs> but Winslow is very quickly sentenced to life in Sing Sing Prison. How ironic! Sing, 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 sing! Oh my yeah. god, I didn't even—I didn't get the pun until just now. I did. I rolled my eyes. What'd you say? I said I rolled my eyes watching. Yeah, this. yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. He could have gotten sent to Rikers. Yeah. Uh, but they sent him to Sing Sing. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite courtroom scenes. Now up there with the courtroom scene from Crybaby. It's only like five seconds at most, if not like maybe two or three seconds. And it's literally just a gigantic American, American flag, flag like in the opening of Patton. Uh, and the judge says, guilty! Bang! <laughs> and Winslow turns to the camera and says, Swan, free me! And it just a hard cut to Sing Sing. And I was just like, Slow clap for that. That was incredible. In prison, Winslow is forcibly conscripted into a program where all his teeth are pulled out and replaced with metal ones, mm -hmm. courtesy of the Swan Corporation. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. And at a tiddlywink assembly line in prison, Wilson loses his shit hearing a radio broadcast about the Juicy Fruit singing Faust at mm -hmm. the opening of the Paradise. Yeah. 
Wilson escapes prison and storms the gates of death records, causing massive damage. I don't just want to point out that the warden of the prison that he just escaped from, the warden of Sing Sing's mm -hmm. name was V. Gross, and I liked that. Okay. Yes. I wanted to point out two things before you go into when he goes into the next scene and everything. Les Mis vibes absolutely for me in the warehouse when he okay, yeah. yeah. in the beginning of Les Mis. And then also, um, this could be Looney Tune. I wrote Monty Python-esque, but it could be Looney Tune as well. He escapes in a box. And That's when he gets right. in the box and he falls out, and he like opens up and starts running. <laughs> so when Winslow's plan is to blow up the record press, yes, mm -hmm. which is for some reason located at the corporate headquarters of Death Records with dynamite that he got from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's that was what the box was. He was in. A, oh, he was. He was. You in know a, how they have a, prisoners make dynamite, right? He was in a box of Acme dynamite. <laughs> yes, and he grabbed the dynamite, brought it with him. It was on its. It was on its way to go help Wiley Coyote kill the Roadrunner, and instead he got it. What ends up happening is uh, his head is caught in the record press, mm -hmm. and his face is disfigured. Which apparently almost happened to Finley. Mm -hmm. What I was going to bring up, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were testing it out, and yeah, he almost got his head crushed. Yeah, but he didn't. Yeah, and that's all that matters. I guess his scream in the movie like actually was him in real life because it started to hit his head and he jumped out really quick. So like that scream yeah. was not acting. Like that was actually. <laughs> From what I understand, the shot in the movie of is, is the moment when he almost died. Like, is is the bit because like I think they only did it once. Because I hope so. Brian like, can you imagine Brian De Palma being like, "You almost died. Get back in there. We're doing it again." <laughs> but Brian De, Brian De Palma was like told up and down, "This is perfectly safe. It's perfectly fine." And then it just wasn't. Yeah. When they went to shoot the thing, Winslow lurches outside and falls into the river. He I think you mean Winslow leeches outside. I don't know. It was a dumb joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said Winslow lurches outside. My brain said, that's oh. almost like his name. And then I just. Oh. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Winslow no. leeches outside. Yeah. No, great joke. Winslow we all loved it. Leeches outside. Yeah. No. Keep going. <laughs> Winslow. <laughs> leeches outside. Okay. Um, uh, he is presumed before, dead. But he like, is with not the record. Dead. With the record press stuff, I thought, I don't know how you guys feel. I think the visual effects for the record press was really good. Like oh, yeah. on his face and stuff. I thought for 1974, I thought that would look really good and stuff. Yeah. The, so this is the scar effects, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it looks fantastic. I, okay. I, I wrote down, he's become the two-face of the paradise. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which also, the idea of the phantom only having part of his face scarred as opposed to his entire face mm -hmm. is something that shows up again in, in the 1940s version of Fam of the Opera. It's most famously known for being in the Broadway version of The Phantom, but this, of course, predates that by several years. Gotcha. So, hey, pretty cool. Yeah. But Winslow Leach is not dead. He's alive and breathing like Darth Vader. Mm, I wrote the same note. Three years before Darth Vader was a thing. <laughs> I also wrote that note. <laughs> I mean, George, oh, George. Hey, um, yeah, no, I like that breathing thing, Brian. I think I'll, uh, mind if I, uh, take that? Mind if I, should I just snatch that up? Shame, um, shame if I took it. You know, uh, Joseph Campbell tells me that this is okay. 
I mean, George Lucas famously stole from everybody, so I wouldn't be surprised. Oh my God, he even wears a helmet and a black cape in this movie. Yep. He does. Oh my God, George Lucas. Brian De Palma's going to sue somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, now's the time to really capitalize on that. Yeah. You know, Brian De Palma stole like most of his stuff from Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like. <laughs> Exactly. Winslow sneaks backstage at the Paradise mm -hmm. and steals a costume and mask. The Juicy Fruits are rehearsing a song. This time is a like they're like they're called the Beach Bums. Yes. In the credits. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of like uh like a Beach Boys thing. They're playing surf music. I do like the fact that the the Juicy Fruits are constantly being reinvented into new groups. Yes. And yeah. very much reflecting the real life practice of uh, record companies, especially in the 70s. Not so much now, but especially in the 70s of just taking the same group and just like remarketing them again and again and again yes. and again as different styles of thing. Now, Ian, you called out the editing earlier, but yeah. here I think we get the best editing in the movie. It's a classic uh, Brian De Palma move. <laughs> and by which we mean a classic Alfred Hitchcock move. Yeah. When did Alfred Hitchcock to... to... Not a split screen, but yeah. this idea of like, oh, the bomb's going to go off. When's oh, the bomb oh gonna okay, go off? yeah. It's a Brian oh, De Palma yeah. spin I about the Alfred Hitchcock screen, classic. Because the, yeah. the editing for the split screen, I mean, that's Brian De Palma's thing. But that yeah, was yeah. really cool, I will say. Uh, Wilson Plant. I will not call him the derogatory name of The Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna buy into this media bullshit. We call him the Phantom. Winslow, it is. Winslow Leach. He has a name, and he's a murderer. <laughs> but Winslow plants a bomb in the Juicy Fruits prop car. Yes. And here we get a split screen where the left hand side, the sinister side, mm -hmm. follows the bomb. The entire time, it's focused on the the trunk of the car where the bomb mm -hmm. is planted. Mm -hmm. And the right-hand side, we watch the Juicy Fruits perform, or the Beach Bums, or whatever. Yes. And even after the car is brought on stage, we're still following... It's still a split screen. Yeah. Until it explodes, and then the right-hand side is just Swan's face, sort of impassive. Yeah. Like, sort of just mildly displeased. I wrote this down. Yeah, he does... He's stone-faced. He's like, yeah, no, I'm... Like, he... I read it as like he like doesn't care like that this whole thing just got blown up. It's just sort of a he does. bother because like right? when as we're going to find out when you've made a deal with the devil like mm -hmm. for immortality like a lot of shit is just sort of a minor inconvenience at that point. Right, and and the juicy fruit are such a manufactured thing. Yes, and we know that he has like a million people on on a string. He can just he can just drag up a whole bunch of new fuckers that look exactly like him and just do a whole other thing again. That's true. Uh, it's it's a minor annoyance that he can't use a group that's already successful, the juicy fruits, for his club. Yes, but that's a. Very minor annoyance when you're as powerful as Swan is. Another thing to keep in mind is the Juicy Fruits do not die in this explosion. So it, it's right. sort of just like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, I, the I, time, um, so the time bomb in the car, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. I uh, connected it to Orson Welles's, uh, I think it's Touch of Evil. The be, I don't know if you've seen that or not. But the beginning I have. Of it, I don't remember it greatly. I think, if I remember correctly, the beginning is a time bomb in a car. And that's how it starts. 
Oh, that's why I was like, I don't know if it's an homage to it or if that's just maybe it's just a coincidence or something. But that's I wrote that down. A Touch Could of be. Evil is a great film with Charlton Heston and brownface. Mm, that's why I don't love it as much. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, later, Swan is listening to a recording of this event when Winslow accosts him, and Winslow is so damn cool in his black leather outfit <laughs> and his space owl mask. <laughs> I love it, even though he's just an incel superhero <laughs> who happens to be good at like this one thing. Right. Making yeah. a pretentious fucking pop cantata about Faust, which nobody asked for. Again, very close to the Phantom of the Book, who was again an incel superhero. Yes. With the a superhumanly incredible singing voice and who spent all of his time in the opera basement writing an opera that Christine describes in the book as being so bizarre no one would ever <laughs> want to listen to it he's, he's, she's like it's clear that he's a genius but like this shit is awful <laughs> <laughs> isn't it's he writing I could, I could be wrong but isn't he writing a thing on Faust in Family I, Opera as well uh, I maybe in the book in, in, the, in the show he's writing uh uh, something about Don Juan, but I think in the oh, okay. I think in the book he might be writing Faust. I think you're right. That's what I yeah. I, I'm gonna say that you're right because that sounds that sounds better. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read that book. Yeah, Swan rips off the front piece of uh, Winslow's helmet, and we get a glimpse of Winslow's Marilyn Manson esque face. <laughs> <laughs> This is also the first time that we really get to see Paul Williams like really acting as yeah. Swan, and he's so fucking he's good. So slimy. He's I wrote so down, casual about everything. I wrote down great delivery, like for Paul Williams and like super scary. And I also this is a little earlier. I wrote down this song, um thing where is when the Phantom's about to kill Paul or the sorry Winslow when he's about to kill. Um, Thanks, Swan. He he says killing me won't help you. And then the Phantom like walks away or Winslow walks away and he literally says, don't rush off. <laughs> that's, that's what's sort of, what's sort of brilliant about not like, again, Paul Williams is a tiny man. Yeah. Uh, I, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. But no, there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. No yeah. classic. Yeah. Classic Seinfeld. No soup for you. <laughs> Paul Williams has such power and command as oh my Swan. God. Yeah. Like he literally is never almost never out of his element. Like he's always just like he's almost always in control. He's always like, yeah, sure. Whatever. A bomb just exploded in my rock palace. <laughs> what the fuck ever? There's a space owl trying to kill me. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a Thursday. We also learned that Winslow can no longer speak. His uh, vocal cords were damaged in the record press. And Swan tells Winslow they'll start over, doing it Winslow's way. Winslow runs off. Next day, they audition Lady Singers. Up to the mic comes Phoenix, who happens to be the lady from the sex auditions. <laughs> Phoenix is about to leave after Philbin is shitty to her, but from his dark balcony... Swan asked her what he would, what she would give him to sing, and we see that Winslow like grabs his shoulder when she comes in to be like, "This is her. This is the one." Yes. Uh, so that's that's why he takes special pains to bring her back. Mm -hmm. She says anything he wants. 
will she give him her voice? Mm. She begins to sing and is very good. And I like this song. As Ian mentioned, this is the this best is my, favorite song, I think. My second favorite song in the show. Nice. Yeah, this is great. And Jessica Harper performs the shit out of it. She does. She's got she's, those, she's got them moves like Jagger. <laughs> she's got those dancing. Like, oh. <laughs> she's got those she's uh, got this 70s white people dance. Oh moves my god, yeah. Where it's like she's just trying not to do the chicken dance at a wedding. <laughs> That's right. She's, she does it later. I wrote it down. She does. She's got this funky duck walk. It's great. But she makes it work where it's like, yeah, as we're sitting about talking about it now, it's like, yeah, there's something. It's not Bob Fosse. No, it's not Bob Fosse. But no, when you're watching it, like, yeah, she's great. And she's mm -hmm. fucking doing it. I think that it, it, it does sort of like Mick Jagger, even though I meant that as a joke, like there is something about just the confidence and the swagger with which she approaches the moves, even though the moves themselves aren't great. She like commands your attention because in a star power sort of way, because before she steps up to the mic, she's very cocky. She's like, mm -hmm. I can do this. This is mine. Yeah. She's very much the Han Solo of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> To bring it back to Star Wars. Right, 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 right. A movie that would not come out for three or four years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. After the audition, we see Winslow in um, what I can only describe as a nest of electronics. Yes. And apparently this was this was an actual place, mm -hmm. and this whole thing was not like a recording studio. It was like one big synthesizer. Mm. That's, so basically exactly what it is in the movie. So... Sort of, I guess it's mm -hmm. it's never explained what his fucking little hovel is. It's it's basically like the the way that an organ is is an instrument that's built into an entire building. Yes. This is essentially an electronica version of that where he he himself, Winslow, is plugged into the music and the music is literally flowing through him like the force. Yes. Ah. But he's been ah. outfitted with an electronic voice box. That makes him sound like a terrible monster <laughs> until until Swan mixes and modifies it to make him sound like Paul, Paul Williams. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and when he says when he says at the end, he goes it makes it sound exactly like Paul Williams. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's such it's such a beautiful narcissistic detail. Yeah, where it's like, oh, but also I can make his voice sound like anything. How about my voice? Why don't you just fucking sing the song, Swan? <laughs> but also, Paul Williams' voice is just great. It's so great. It's, it's fantastic. You get to hear Paul Williams sing. So that's that's another cherry on top. Here we get a second rendition of the Faust song where he talks about dreaming up friends. Mm -hmm. Yes. Swan tells Wilson, stop terrorizing the paradise. <laughs> And to rewrite his cantata for Phoenix. Yes. That mm -hmm. way they both get what they want. Right. But Winslow only has one week, much like the bare naked ladies. <laughs> <laughs> also, we, we made that know, song to be the plot of this movie. It's been <laughs> one, one week since you disappeared. Chickeny Phoenix, the Phoenix chicken. <laughs> also, he needs to sign a giant ominous contract bound. I don't know why I find this so sinister. It's bound horizontally. <laughs> With like black yarn, <laughs> and there's something about binding something like horizontally as opposed to vertically that's like, yeah, this is the devil's work. This is the work. 
and the font is literally they chose old English and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Microsoft Word. <laughs> and the contract is you know, super, you know, in the 70s when Microsoft Word was being used a lot. Well, <laughs> this was before they could have chose Papyrus. Right, exactly. It so. could have been in Comic Sans. Now that that would have been too demonic. With, if it was with, in Wingdings and he has to <laughs> I don't understand any of this. <laughs> the contract is super shady, and it has probably the best bit of sinister legalese I've seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. All articles which are excluded will be deemed included. Mm-hmm. Now, what Ian, you fuck? want to bring up something about the contract. For that exact thing is when he's reading that off and he's basically saying everything that you own like is going to be mine until I die and everything. And he says... What is what does that mean? And Swan goes, it's a transportation clause. Yeah. <laughs> there's some good jokes in this. There's some there's some real good that's laugh in, lines. That's in there to protect you. Winslow agrees to rewrite his cantata. Mm-hmm. Swan, as per usual, makes him sign in blood. Right. And there's a gr- another great gag is he pricks Winslow's finger and makes him sign with a fountain pen. Swan has a rubber stamp that he uses to make his blood signature. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Uh, Winslow sets to work rewriting the cantata, mm-hmm. and Swan declares it tasty. Tasty, Winslow, tasty, which is just <laughs> an incredible line delivery, incredible line. I wish... Obviously, Paul Williams would have been too old to play Austin Powers. Oh, my God. Mm. But Paul Williams would have been an amazing Austin Powers. Oh, my God, yeah. Is he British himself? (laughs) (laughs) Is his actual... I don't think I've ever actually heard just his voice. Is he British or is he American? Uh, I believe he's... Let's look it up real quick. I believe he is American. He He voiced the Penguin in Batman the Animated Series. Did he? Yeah, and his his voice in that, I think, is closer to his actual voice. And it sounds almost exactly like Swan in this movie, except without the English accent. And a little bit less sinister, because the Penguin is a much more comedic villain. Omaha, Nebraska. There you go. Paul Williams' hometown. That makes sense, yeah. But if you if you want to hear more Paul Williams being just a great villain in something, uh, watch Batman the Animated Series. His, his Penguin is one of the best, in my opinion. I have, yeah, I have to rewatch the show. I mean, I watched it a while ago, but i got to rewatch it again. Yeah. The, it's one of those shows where you can just grab an episode out of it because there's no overarching plot or nothing. So, yeah. Next, we get my favorite bit of production design, mm-hmm. where Swan is seated at his desk, which is a very impractical giant gold record. Oh my god! With, with seemingly no way in or out. <laughs> I imagine, I imagine three foot one Paul Williams having to like get on a step ladder and crawl what must feel to him like fifty miles <laughs> across the diameter of this desk. Another voice role that Paul Williams had once, he, he played himself in an episode of Dexter's Laboratory. Did he? Where he, as Paul Williams, is just Dexter's babysitter. And he finds Dexter's lab and is able to get in because he's as short as Dexter is. Oh. 
that must have been hilarious to every eight-year-old child in 1999. As a child, I had no idea who Paul Williams was. I'm watching this, and I'm like, and then years later, I'm thinking about Paul Williams, and I'm like, shit, that episode was about him. That's hilarious. But yeah, so, retroactively, the funniest episode of Dexter's Lab at the time. Yeah, that's so, great. As we as we learned, Winslow's terms were that Phoenix would perform the cantata, right? But Swan informs Philbin that Phoenix will be relegated to backup singer. Mm. What his cantata he calls it his cantata, of mm. course, needs is something really heavy. Yes, not just tasty. Heavy. And we get a great sequence and another great bit of editing and film work where we pan around this circular desk mm. and we see the rewritten Faust song, which is a different tune, mm -hmm. performed in different styles by different groups as we do this pan around. Sure. It's fantastic. It's great beautiful. bit of filmmaking. It's great. I love I love all the all the different again. Paul Williams writing all of these different variations on this yes. song. It's just incredible. I'm not musically inclined at all. Sure. But I'm sure this would be so fun to someone who is very musically talented, like Paul Williams, where he's like, yeah, yeah, let me just play around with this. Also, we didn't, I don't think we mentioned it, but the, the song that the Beach Boys version of the Juicy Fruits were performing before oh they blowed up was also a version of Faust. It was which, called Upholstery. Which is just, oh, yes. I, I listened to it earlier today, and Paul Williams did an incredible job of writing just the worst possible version of the song <laughs> for, it's, for the Juicy Fruits to sing. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen King, this is... Seems tangential at first. Okay. Stephen King's best talent as a writer is when he does like sort of a longer book and he builds up a community of characters and all these situations. He's just like, okay, it's now it's time to knock it down. Right. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's what Paul Williams was doing with this soundtrack, this score, yeah. where he's like, okay, as you were saying earlier, like, I'm going to build something up. Mm hmm. Now I'm going to make it fucking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and just having so much fun with that. Yeah, no. But Swan settles on a curly-haired weirdo who plays a kind of heavy, like, rock, like, sort of like a deep purple type thing. Mm -hmm. Played by Bud the Chud. Oh, is <laughs> that Bud the it's Chud? It's Bud the Chud. I've never seen Chud 2. Uh, neither so have not neither have I, but Chud. I, I know that it's Bud the Chud, though. But I'll get into his credits in a little bit. The credits <laughs> I'm familiar with Sure. Uh, in a bit. He sort of looks like... A more statuesque version of the greatest American hero. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess if Just you the curly hair, the curly hair. I guess if you if you took William Cat's hair and put it on Robert Culp's head and then gave him uh, the eyes from Igor from Young Frankenstein, Marty that's Feldman. Marty Feldman. Then that's that. That's how you get uh, our Carlotta for the movie named Beef. Beef. <laughs> <laughs> An incredible name. The and best name in film. And just like. <laughs> A commodity, yes. Just like, just fucking meat. He's just a slab of meat. That's all he is—is is fucking presence and figure and all, voice. Except for his voice, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. He looks exactly Robert Plant to me. I don't know okay. if you guys thought that, but like with the long hair, or like not Robert Plant now, but like when he was in Led Zeppelin, the long curly hair. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the way he was singing, all I could think of is that. 
And that that would have been a very like timely reference at the time. So that might be intentional. Very much could be. Swan holds a press conference at, <laughs> at an airport. And here's what we get where we get what we were alluding to earlier. Yeah. Where we see the Death Records logo on the podium. And immediately, even from a distance, especially from a distance, mm-hmm. it looks so unnatural. Not not until Henry Cavill's mustache <laughs> in the Justice League oh will God. we see such egregious digital addition it's as a- this logo covering up what must have said Swan Song. Yeah, yeah. It's, it looks saying Death Records. It's hard to express how bad it looks through audio. Here's the thing: <laughs> is for 1974. Yeah, that is almost certainly the best they could do. Like, oh, of course, of like, course it is. Uh, even by the 90s, I think that would be a de rigueur sort hey, of digital editing. They spent so much money on that record uh, desk. There was no way they were going to be able to afford to just reshoot a podium. <laughs> that was just not going to happen. Swan as, Brian announces De, that- as Brian De Palma, George Lucas, his films and gone in and re-edited them. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you think he would add to Phantom of the uh, Paradise? Like, Oh. If you could go back and George Lucas it. Oh, it has to be something. Or even so Steven minimal. Spielberg it. Do you think he would take out the knives and like replace them with walkie talkies? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or, or Sam Raimi it and just ruin everything. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. But Swan announces the cantata will be performed by Beef. <laughs> yeah. uh, who is introduced by his glam goth posse by opening a coffin. And he emerges with a scream. Well, he he opens his eyes slowly, turns around, and then screams in what seemed very clearly to me to be a uh, Dr. Caligari reference to the to And the we're going to get more Dr. Caligari references. I wrote short. that down, yeah. And again, Paul Williams played the Penguin in Batman the Animated Series in which his design was based on Dr. Caligari. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It probably means nothing, but I like <laughs> it. <laughs> We see Beef trying to perform the cantata, but he gets frustrated because it was scored for a woman. Mm-hmm. The range is too high. And Beef is something else. Beef is something. <laughs> I, wrote uh, down, I wrote down the exact quote. It's, this was scored for a chick. I'm not doing this in drag. And right. what, did, what does Swan say? Oh, I didn't write that write down. That what down? Is- it's like, uh, oh, you, you can, can sing any better, better than yeah. any bitch. Yeah, yes. you can perform it better than any bitch. <laughs> Beef has a very when he's not singing, he has a very high voice, sort of a glam aesthetic, uh, very prissy and diva like. Mm-hmm. Also, he has a high voice with a lisp. <laughs> yes, he is very effete. Also, Beef's version of this song is terrible. Yes, yeah. most importantly. I, I, you mentioned earlier that your your big problem with this movie was that we didn't get a return of Rod Serling. Yes, my big problem with this movie is beef. Okay, yeah, um, I I I like the actor playing beef. I think they're great. I like the fact that there's a character named Beef. I love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
it, it's a bit of a break from the bird motif because apparently he's a cow, but like, you know, whatever. My well, again, because he's just a commodity. Right. No, he I does get. not create. He sure. just. Right. My, my, and he is there to be slaughtered. Oh, uh, my my problem with him is that the joke seems to be, man, he presents as this hard rocking badass, but he's gay. And I didn't I that bothered me. That rubbed me the wrong way. Fair. Yeah, fair. I understand. Like, I don't think that Brian De Palma or anybody involved in this movie had any sort of like mean-spirited intentions with this no and it i was, never got that and it was the 70s but at the same time like it, it did rub me the wrong way this joke see i i took it more as like yeah we're sort of supposed to be laughing at how a feat he is but also this is just playing into the themes of like masks sure um, okay uh, misrepresentation like mm -hmm. a manufactured person a commodity again he's beef sure he is not a cow he's not a living thing right he is just a slaughtered product to be presented to what we will see is a very hungry mass sure, see, sure. my problem with beef is this is where i think it goes to rocky Harder. is his character because beef is very similar to Rocky. Well, Rocky as well, but almost Eddie as well. Ooh. Is oh, I read that. Which one's Meatloaf? Eddie's okay. Meatloaf. Which yeah. also Meatloaf, beef. Yes. <laughs> Playing the food game today. I thought of that too. <laughs> oh, man. If I, I kind now I want to see Meatloaf as beef. <laughs> yes. well, that would have be been incredible. The problem, the only problem with that is. Then his version of the music would have been too good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. But Swan tells Beef to make the song his own. So mm -hmm. we're even uh, Winslow, uh, in addition to being like, Phoenix has to sing my song mm -hmm. and you have to sing the music I give you. Yeah. But Swan mm -hmm. is just throwing all of that out the window because it's all he's allowed to do whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, make it your own. Absolutely. Immediately, Beef starts changing the lyrics and 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 doing all sorts of weird shit with it. <laughs> Which once he does, he I enjoy his later version of the song much better than this version of the song. Well, yeah, yeah. Once he, this is this is just rehearsal. Once we get to the stage, you know, you know, that's that's when we have the real product. Exactly. That's a good song. Yeah. The one where Winslow has completed his cantata. Juan retrieves it. Uh, it's covered in pills that he's been feeding Winslow, mm -hmm. and he exits. Then, an illusion we did not think of before, the cask of Amontialdo. I wrote that uh, one down too, yeah. <laughs> Swan orders his goons to brick up the door to Winslow's uh, electronic nest. Winslow awakes and finds he's been bricked in and shrieks a shriek that is heard throughout the building, including by Beef, who is spooked. <laughs> Again, Beef's arc in this movie follows the arc of the character of Carlotta in both the original... Not so much the original book, but in most adaptations of the Fam of the Opera story. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. The wall <laughs> proves to be no match for Winslow, who bursts through it like so much Kool-Aid man. <laughs> that, that's where a little bit of the movie got a little too, I don't want to say campy. I mean, the movie's great camp, but like yeah. that part I was just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I everyone knows that pretentious weirdo songwriters get superpowers if their music are stolen exactly <laughs> yeah he's calling upon the power of his owl ancestors <laughs> <laughs>
I did find it interesting that like maybe the reason why he can do that is something like the pills. Um, um, oh, yeah. him, and it's almost like Swan leads himself to his own downfall. Um, hey. of, like he's the one that let him out of his whole thing. That's just how I read it. But yeah, you know. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. But he did kind of like turn him into a cyborg with the whole voice box and everything yeah. going on there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it kind of so you know he accidentally one morning instead of giving him speed he gave him a little bit of venom and he turned he he just (laughs) he went all bane on his ass yeah (laughs) you took my music (laughs) beef takes a shower and then another hitchcock ripoff classic the palma yes Uh, (laughs) and he's singing a snatch of faust as he's lathering his uh william cat s body (laughs) winslow sticks a plunger into beef's mouth Oh, I love and threatens guy. him not to sing his music ever again. It's meant for Phoenix and only Phoenix. I gotta good. say, the modulation on on Winslow's voice as the Phantom is fucking incredible. It's great. He doesn't speak with Paul Williams' voice. He still speaks with he the, only like, the modulated. Sings with Paul Williams' voice only sings with it. That's the only way that they could get it to work. But he's. I am. Oh, I am interested to see if that's William Finley's actual voice, or if they, if they just got anyone who might maybe did it cheaper. Because they, I mean, obviously they voice amalgamated it so much. Like, I don't think William Finley's quote was that high. Yeah, I imagine they no, could they could have gotten him into the studio for that. Also, but who he was, knows? He was already on set in the suit, so I mean, like, yeah, might know. as well just have. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they could have just like boom mic'd it and then modulated in post. Could, yeah, could be. Beef is thoroughly <laughs> Scooby Dooed out of the place. <laughs> He's like, I, I ain't dealing with no haints. He tries to leave to go to Cincinnati. <laughs> Go to Cincinnati to be with my mother. A very <laughs> easy place, as we learned from the good place. Uh, <laughs> Philbin tries to stop him. Beef informs him about the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And Beef is played by Garrett Graham, mm-hmm. who was, you might be interested to know, in Beware the Blob. Oh, that's right. Yes. I've seen Beware the Blob once. It is awful. I'm sure. <laughs> He was also in Chopping Mall in a role I don't remember because I saw that movie a very long time ago. I and assume he played the robot. I assume. We can only... Yeah. He plays all movie robots. <laughs> R2-D2. Johnny Five. Right. The Terminator. <laughs> you may know him under his other names such as uh, Kenny Baker and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. <laughs> he has a lot of stage names. It's it's a guild thing. It's a guilt it's a, thing where yeah, he has right, to like right. adopt different names. He's in a lot of different unions. But where, and I didn't recognize him because I saw this movie a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. He's in a movie we might do someday called Terror Vision. I've which heard is this. a great bit of 80s camp. Is this he, the one where the zombies come out of the TV? Or is that a different thing? Mm-hmm. No, that's the video dead. Sorry. But this is a TV cable sort of horror thing. Okay. But he plays the swinger dad of the main character. The, the parents in Terrorvision are very 80s swingers. Great. Terrorvision also has a great theme song. We might do it someday. Sure. I- Ian, you looked like you were about to say something there a second ago. Oh, I was going to say, is that, I don't know if Brad looked this up or not. Is that Garrett Graham's actual voice? Or did he just put that on for this movie? I'm not. Like his speaking voice? Yeah. I have a feeling that was an affectation for the movie. That's what I thought, too, yeah. Based on every clip that I've seen of him from something else, I, I'm pretty sure that it was an affectation. I, I He has a great line when oh, he's... Oh, I think we have the same line. When he's arguing with Philbin about... And Philbin's like, Eh, hey, you probably just saw something because of the drugs. And, <laughs> and he's like, I know drug real from real real. Yes. That is a great line. Because we do see... Uh, 
he claims that Philbin accused it of being like an amphetamine hallucination. Right, yeah. But my favorite line of beefs is, can't you feel the vibes in your own house? Oh, that's right. Bad sport. Real bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's, that's, that's only... my favorite line from The Great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> bad sport. Bad sport. Real bad. Uh, can't you feel the vibes in your own house is so good, I almost want to put it in the theme song. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I I kind of support that choice. It's 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 maybe very... I'll do a, a second mix of the theme song, but I love the testicle line so much that I don't want to lose. I don't it. think that you can lose the testicle line. I think that that's essential because it's 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 the only reference to the number one thousand we have. True. <laughs> but Philbin pushes Beef back upstairs. Mm -hmm. He's gonna perform. Yeah. Now the performance has started, and the Juicy Fruits, a.k.a. the Beach Bums, have now become the undead. Mm -hmm. And they're very gothed up, even really before like the 80s mm -hmm. goth movement that this feels more reminiscent of. See, I wrote down Kiss for the undead. With Same, the name yes. No, there yeah. are definite Kiss vibes. But it, it's but the but the, the, the set the, behind them looks like an actual set from the Dr. Caligari. It's movie. very German expression expressionist. Yeah, um, it looks it looks like it looks like that one set from Casino Royale. That's what uh, I thought of because <laughs> I've not seen Caligari, so I was like, oh yeah, Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> Your guys' uh, favorite film. <laughs> also, also go, there are some revelations that we're going to get in a bit, but I do think going back to the bomb in the car for the Juicy Fruits, I do think that technically the Juicy Fruits did die in that scene, the way the explosion oh. goes off. And I think that they are, they might literally be undead possibly in this scene. Again, that's kind of spoiling more forward than, but we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, Here's here's the reason why I didn't connect them so much with Kiss mm -hmm. is because while the makeup is reminiscent of Kiss, mm -hmm. although apparently it's reminiscent more of the character from Caligari, the Somnambulist. Um, yes, I need to see oh, Caligari. That's, it, it's it's worth it. Isn't it like three hours long? No, it's like uh, barely an hour. What am I? Yeah, oh, Mabuza. Short. What would you say? I'm uh, saying yeah. it's super short. It's oh, okay. It's, it's super short. Yeah. I might be thinking of uh, Mabuza. Uh, I have not seen Mabuza, probably because it's three hours long. <laughs> um, but the way the the undead saying it, it doesn't sound like Kiss no. or like eighties goth. It almost sounds like sixties British invasion sort of thing. Yeah, I thought more prog rock, um, okay, King Crimson, that kind of. Uh, whole I can thing. see it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I really dug this particular oh, musical this, number. This was yeah, this was great. Yeah. This was great. And the best part of it yes, absolutely. is that the undead on their instruments, their guitars, they have curved blades on the end. The, and they're the hacking most... up mannequins yes, in yeah. the audience. Mannequins that are disguised as actual audience members. Yes. So mm -hmm. at first I literally thought the undead were just chopping up audience members. I did too, and I was <laughs> hoping for that. Uh, but that is not the case. <laughs> it, is, it is revealed later that that's that's fake. But my God, what an incredible show! I'm a, I'm an old uh, from back in my college days. I'm an old fan of of Alice Cooper and all of his stage uh, stuff. Yes. So this was absolutely my home turf right here. I would say the production design in this film is like unreal. Oh, it's like, great! My God, so good. it's it's half the film, really. Like really, yeah. Just, just the sets and the costumes and everything. It's so good, like. That fucking fake prop car that the mm -hmm. beach bums have, yeah, is so 
fakey, but it's so perfect for this like shitty sixties like beach party movie vibe. It's, yeah. it's it's wonderful. We talk about movies with like incredibly strong worlds to them. Like we were talking with just recently with Streets of Fire, yes, uh, and how like and incredibly well built that world is. Same thing with here on what appears to be a tenth of the budget of Streets yes. of Fire. Just but they still managed to build this incredible again, immaculate vibe yes. uh, in the set of this film. I was going to say, I, I think I alluded to it earlier, but I believe Jack Fisk did the production design, which he did Eraserhead, Mulholland Drive, Badlands. You did He's, not mention this. Oh, did I not? Yeah. Jack, well, God. that's Sissy Spacek. That was her. Um, oh, okay. Jack Fisk was the production designer, and he's David Lynch's guy. He did uh, Eraserhead, all those. Yeah. Well. Well, fuck me. That's incredible. Apparently, I'm I, I'm a huge Jack Fisk fan, and I didn't I didn't know it. Same. So that's 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 another one for for me to look up later is more Jack Fisk movies. While the undead perform, a Frankenstein thing is going on, <laughs> which is not Faust. <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not a literary scholar, but I know there's a difference between Frankenstein. And Goethe's Faust. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. But I love it. And Ian and I were kind of talking about this before, where, one, the disrespect for the source material is very on point for Swan, where he's like, sure, whatever, do a Frankenstein thing. Right, yeah. And here we also get Rocky Horror parallels, where they're creating mm -hmm. the Beefcake Man. They're creating the um, Beefcake Man. I will say, but, uh, I am such a fucking nerd for Frankenstein shit, that the minute anyone references Frankenstein, my opinion of whatever I'm watching goes up an unreasonable degree. I already loved this movie, but the minute Frankenstein stuff happened, I was like, ooh. But this <laughs> works perfectly for Swan, who just, like, cops other styles and is like, Whatever, let's just do whatever. Yeah. Let's take the 50s. Let's take beach uh, music 60s. And like, let's just do whatever. German, German expressionism, 1930s shit, whatever. It's all gothic yeah, literature. Absolutely. No, it's not, Swan. It's all gothic literature. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Penny Dreadful, I kept on like alluding to, I mean, that's just gothic literature. But yeah, yeah. Like that show and everything. I'm that a huge fan of gothic literature. So I was like, ooh. <laughs> yes. Say, same and also of Penny Dreadful. Mm. Once Beef emerges from the slab, he performs another pretty good song. Yeah. Uh, the best beef song. I love and that here's song. here's where it's, it's the best beef. Here's where, <laughs> like, I know we disagree, but I feel like Beef's persona was not the joke, but was part of the meta joke of the movie because the, every time they try to make him look tough, and scary, right? He's just gayer and gayer. Mm -hmm. It's and super I loved gay. it. <laughs> it's super gay, and I also love it. I wrote so with like eight O's, uh, gay and seventies. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's great <laughs> because he's just like sort of again, sort of chicken dancing around, and mm -hmm. I, I I loved it. Like it didn't bother me the way it bothered you. I my my only problem is the implicit assumption that. Being gay equals being not cool. Gotcha. That, yeah, that that the 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 gay equals bad thing. Again, my idea is like trying to make someone what they're not. Sure, sure. I was gonna um, say I think he. I mean, he sings about loving women in that, and that's like kind of what I agree with. Is like okay, if, if they would just made it a gay anthem, I think it would have been great, and it wouldn't yeah. have been like that and everything. Obviously, it was not at the time progressive, but like. 
I will say, even beyond the Frankenstein references that I joked about, like I do really like this scene. Gotcha. I, I really like this scene. I like the way that, that just the, the whole stage performance and the way that the act again, the actor is doing a great job. I don't have a problem with the actor. I don't have a problem with Brian De Palma. I think that this is a dated element, but I but like they, they did a great job with this sequence and I really enjoyed gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. I say the one, whole I have more of a problem with the whole beef thing, I guess. Gotcha. I say one of the controversial things that I think we jumped over is the F word is used earlier in the film. Swan calls Winslow a the F oh, oh my god that up. Yes when he's when he's dressing when he's disguised as a woman. Oh yes, he does on, on the that. circular. Yeah, band, I remember what sounds like this word out of here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there, if you're gonna George Lucas it, take that line out. <laughs> yes, take this fool out of here. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, that's not great. But here's, I think, I think there's also some irony to it because again, Swan is not a picture of masculinity. I, I actually kind of liked that moment because it was more of a, a moment about, yes, yeah, Swan being, you know, a horrible piece of shit. Yeah. Which he is. And that's what he's supposed to be. So, uh, like, him completely dehumanizing Winslow in that moment with, with this horrible thing to say to a person is, it made sense in, at the moment to, yeah. to be like the sort of stab in the gut to Winslow. Exactly, because I'm sure he recognizes Winslow and understands what he's doing to him. Of course he does. And it's literally just adding insult to injury, right. which he is about to apply to Winslow. Yes. But uh, at the same time, yeah, no, it, yeah, when, no whenever, whenever in 2022 you hear someone just fucking say that it's it's upsetting we oh, yeah. Yeah. we have talked about this with the uh not on the show but between the two of us yeah the big problem with the first two bill and ted movies is the f slur gets dropped once in each of those movies mm -hmm. and it's a real it doesn't ruin the movies for me but it's a black spot on otherwise very sweet characters right yeah. Absolutely. I also, for the whole Frankenstein song, did you guys this Frankenhooker? <laughs> <laughs> another movie, another movie that I loved already, but the Frankenstein references made me love all the more. <laughs> this is, uh, there are bits of slasher to this film. It's not a slasher movie. Yeah. But the most inspired kill of the film is coming up. Winslow is watching from the rafters mm -hmm. and he. I guess on some sort of like zip line <laughs> sends this lightning bolt shaped neon sign like he's fucking Zeus <laughs> at beef and beef is hit and electrocuted and burst into flames. Mm -hmm. I read it as he threw it like with his super strength, I guess. That oh, he okay. Suit, but so literally like Zeus, then. literally like Zeus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then also we skipped over the guitar humping. <laughs> yes, Beef does guitar. have a big guitar dick. Yes, <laughs> that was that was the working title of this movie, Big Guitar Dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's its Japanese title. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. That's, that's right. <laughs> Did you have anything else to say about the guitar humping, or you just wanted to make no. sure it was acknowledged? Yes, no, we not. need to acknowledge that. <laughs> you need to acknowledge that that guitar dick. Uh, I, I wrote down the lightning bolt kill is incredible. Yes. They don't really dwell on it. It's not like a, a slasher kill where there's like a lot of blood or anything like that. The lightning bolt hits him. 
the the frame rate goes super wonky as as beef is just sort of like getting electrocuted and the actor is pulling all these great faces and then he's just kind of gone yes he's just kind of out of the movie the the movie except for the climax does not dwell on violence very much no which i i think is is a strong and and correct choice because it helps to keep the movie light despite dealing with such dark subject matter absolutely Philbin sends Phoenix out to sing. Explain. Oh, I wrote down the beef is dead. Long live the beef. <laughs> Philbin sends Phoenix out to sing, explaining in a way that would be horrifying to hear in real life. Like beef was killed so you could sing. <laughs> if someone told me before I was about to perform, like, oh yeah, that guy who was just murdered in front of your eyes, that happened so you could be a star. <laughs> I would be a little put out. Well, then also Philbin says, don't disappoint him or there'll be more bodies. And in an editing stroke of genius, it goes to Phantom killing the light guy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't disappoint him, more body. <laughs> Winslow kills the follow spot operator. Right. <laughs> and takes over his tech crew. Oh Good on God. him. Good we always need tech crew. He's, 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 you know, he's, he's aggressive, but at least he does the work. And yeah. Phoenix comes on and sings a song. The crowd loves it mm -hmm. as much as they love beef. It almost seems like the crowd will love anything you put in front of them. <laughs> yeah. Swan visits Phoenix in her dressing room. Mm -hmm. I guess technically beef's dressing room, but uh, mm -hmm. who cares? Sure. He's dead and on fire. <laughs> Swan tell her, tells her she's going to be a big star, and Phoenix says she'll do anything to have that crowd again. I, I noticed here that there's another literary reference that the film could be making. Whether Cujo. It, <laughs> intentionally or no, potentially Cyrano de Bergerac. Where, okay. where the words of, mm. of the 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 not so great looking but incredibly poetic genius are being supposedly delivered through this prettier uh, guy who, who then ends up being able to get with this girl based on the strength of them. I, also I guess spoilers wrote, for Cyrano. <laughs> I also wrote um, down the line, my, probably my favorite line in the whole movie is Swan saying, I like your name. You won't have to change it. <laughs> yeah barely registered for me because i was just like of course that's what a douchebag would say right, right? yeah uh, but that like is that, line. that is a great bit of writing and again incredibly delivered by paul williams mm -hmm. phoenix leaves to go meet with swan so they can celebrate but the crowd is just it's like beatlemania mm. they're they're just ready to mob her so she takes another route and is napped by winslow yes winslow reveals to phoenix that he is in fact Winslow. <laughs> the guy who's not a space so owl well. is, ah, your old friend, the creep. <laughs> the creep who talked about the music. That's me. Here, Winslow. here, I'll prove it to you. Sing it. No, just do it. <laughs> Remember me who you met for five minutes months ago? <laughs> and I'm obsessed with you like a normie. <laughs> Doesn't she also say like, "But you died," and like, yes, I don't remember that. that. It was it was a it was a weirdly publicized event. Like uh, Phoenix even mentions not Phoenix Swan. Swan even mentions when he's 
is going to open the paradise with this music. It was produced by the late great oh, composer Winslow, Winslow Leach. Yeah, so, like, weirdly, a weird moment of crediting someone for their music. Although, as we learned in the opening song, death makes people overnight success. Yes, Winslow says that Swan has taken everything in from him except for Phoenix, who is not his. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just underline that triple. Did we mention that Winslow is an incel? He pleads yeah. with Phoenix, but Phoenix is committed to the crowd. Makes sense. Yeah. You met mm -hmm. this dude for, again, five minutes. Yeah. Months ago. He's now horribly disfigured and has absconded with you to a roof. I remember when I first encountered this movie, it was, it was uh, through some video producer doing a, a, a sort of sequential review of it back in the day and he whoever this reviewer was i don't even remember talked about the character of phoenix as being so unlikable and so like horrible to poor winslow and watching it now for the first time i'm like no no <laughs> not at all not at all she not behaves like, that like guy a was young. an incel yeah, <laughs> exactly exactly she behaves like someone who wants to be a star like right and again, she owes nothing to fucking Winslow. No, absolutely not. She makes some questionable life choices going forward in this yes. film, but like they're her choices to make because she's her own she's fucking her own person. person. Mm -hmm. She flees and makes it to Swan, telling him that Winslow is on the roof. They go to Swan's house called the Swanage, <laughs> and Winslow, again a creep, mm -hmm. follows and peeps through a window and sees Swan and Phoenix canoodling. Yes. <laughs> By the way. Here's where I'm going to drop some knowledge. Go go for it. Swanage is the name of a town in Dorset, England. Awesome. I was wondering if like a Swanage was an actual like, here's where we keep the Queen's swans. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like an orphanage, but for swans. Right, yes. And Dorset, or I'm sorry, Swanage, is one of the top ten most dangerous small towns in Dorset. Oh. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is apparently, apparently, crimewatch.uk or whatever the fuck uh, keeps stats on small town crimes in, in all the counties of England. God. Yeah. So now you know. And knowing is half the battle, G.I. Joe. But I also, I also looked at some other sources that said uh, Swanage is very lovely. Very, <laughs> very sort of, very sort of middle of the road. Not. Not rough, but not posh. So <laughs> you should do a travel episode. You should do a travel episode and go to Swanage. Yeah, Ooh. absolutely, absolutely. That's within <laughs> our zero dollar budget. <laughs> There's one thing about Swanage I could never stand: it was all the damn vampires. <laughs> so reference to the Lost Boys. Yes, I wrote down again. Winslow looking through the 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 the, the skylight at. at at Phoenix and, and Swan going out at each other. And I said, Winslow wasn't a true phantom of the opera until now. Unless you've been cucked on a roof, you're not a real phantom. I just got, I like to play this game mentally sometimes where, sure. uh, you know, the song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> so I just imagine, I imagine Winslow as the phantom looking through this window yeah. as Phoenix and Swan just sort of like cuddle and it's like, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. <laughs> what about us? Self-aggrandizing like, oh, nobody understands me. I'm such a creep. Nobody can love me. What about uh, Mr. Brightside? <laughs> <laughs> just Winslow going, I'm Mr. Brightside. <laughs> Crying. <laughs> 
coming out of my synthesizer and I've been doing just fine. <laughs> no, the other song I got, got was... Gotta, uh, gotta be Faust because I want it all. You no, take it to Swanage, it was only a car ride, it was only... <laughs> no, the other song I got vibes for was uh, Behind Blue Eyes by The Who, where it's like, <laughs> no one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the phantom, <laughs> to be the sad man. Behind our mask, <laughs> all around me is familiar <laughs> swanes. Or just to go with the classic, I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no lyrical changes there. I don't. Yeah. I don't belong here. These people are having a private moment. <laughs> but Winslow is devastated, mm -hmm. and like a true drama queen. Well, I guess he doesn't have a lot else going on. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> not that I'd ever advocate suicide, obviously. Right. But Winslow, not a lot. Like, I guess. The Romeo card. <laughs> he plunges a, a, a dagger into his own heart, which Swan sees because even though he's canoodling, he's also watching CCTV of his roof, like you do. Getting off on the pain that Winslow is experiencing. And, and he sees Winslow up there. It's this weird, like, triple voyeur thing where mm -hmm. Swan is watching through... If Winslow wasn't there, he'd just be looking through his own window at them <laughs> cuddling. I, but now yeah. he's watching Winslow watch them as he's watching them watch Winslow. I get the sense that Swan would have not had a good time with Phoenix if no one had showed up to watch them. I, I <laughs> definitely think he gets off on Winslow's yeah. torment. Oh my god, shittiness. Another song from Hailstorm, I Get Off On You, Getting Off On Me. Sure. <laughs> Is that a Christian band? Uh, yes, definitely. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I Get Off On You, Getting Off On Me is definitely a Christian song. <laughs> but uh, uh, later, when he's done cuddling, Swan goes up to the roof and pulls the knife out of Winslow and tells him that he can't die mm -hmm. because it's not in the contract, bitch. Mm. <laughs> Also, even if Winslow kills Swan, then that knife wound will reopen and Winslow will die himself. Yes. And he tries to stab Swan in this moment. And Swan delivers my absolute favorite line in the movie. Just like the, again, this movie is not really a horror movie, even though it's often called that. But this line. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. This line chilled me to the fucking bone. He stabs Swan. Swan is completely unaffected as he is with about most things in his yeah, life. Yeah, it's very blasé. Very blasé. <laughs> and he says, I'm under contract too. And yeah, that might and be my favorite line in the film. It's great. And Fuck. again, <laughs> all, right. all Williams' performance gets better and better as the movie. It's like a crescendo that we're about to reach the peak of. Well, there's um, a line there's a line right before that one which is yeah. you gave up your right to rest in peace when you signed this contract yes. which also how Paul Williams delivers it oh god that's a great villain line which is honestly kind of ahead of its time with the way that like celebrities aren't allowed to pass anymore yeah, it's it's today. very it's it's still very poignant and very yeah. true and again it it works both on the supernatural level and also just the legal level where it's like yeah yeah, you, you're not allowed to die because I, I. It's you're not allowed to. You're just not allowed. You need to, to make me money and uh, make me fame. Peter Cushing, Carrie Fisher, James Dean are all in movies that were made recently. Like yeah. that's that's mm. that's fucking awful. That's terrifying. Yeah. Surprise! Ah! Swan and Phoenix are getting married. 
In fact, they're getting married at the end of Faust on stage. And probably Philbin's best line is like, what, so Faust doesn't burn in hellfire? He gets married at the end? <laughs> and Tawana's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, it gave me huge flashbacks to the movie The Player. I think I saw that of when I was like a child. Sure, sure. <laughs> and it it's, was on Comedy Central, even though I don't think it's really a it's comedy. It's not a comedy at all, even though it, <laughs> oh, it won a Golden Globe for Best Comedy and or Musical, and it is not any of those things. Well, the Golden Globes <laughs> is topsy-turvy, upside-down land. Exactly. But no, it, it, the player is, a big part of the player is the idea of like this, this incredible screenplay that everyone in Hollywood wants, but everyone wants to change the ending because it has a sad ending. And the main agent of the movie character that we're following is able to get the screenplay be, by promising not to change it. And at the end of the movie, we literally end with a scene in which Bruce Willis and uh, the lady from- Catherine Hepburn. Uh, sure. The lady from Pretty Woman. I think that was Catherine Julia Hepburn. Roberts. Julia That's Roberts. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Julia Roberts, who are two actors, a screenwriter specifically said he did not want in the movie playing out a happy version of the ending of, of, of the screenplay. Hmm. I was going to say with Philbin's line here, it's a funny line, definitely. But I mm. also like, all three of our main players in this movie are also like a version of faust the whole yes. legend and oh. everything yeah um because obviously like winslow yeah. sure but then uh phoenix signs a contract but then we learn that swan signed the contract and i find it really interesting that swan is changing faust's future instead of burning in hellfire getting married he's changing oh, oh my god that's a brilliant observation my man i <laughs> did not pick up on that at all that's great that is Fantastic. I'm just I'm just absorbing that now. Yeah, no. <laughs> Hats off. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh Winslow sneaks into Swan's archives, which are a room with no door, it seems, <laughs> and just a white binders with what does it say on the side? It's like I don't know. They, don't it remember. all looks like the products in Repo Man. Yeah, where it's just yeah. like a uh, white and black bold text. This this mm -hmm. whole sequence very much had a vibe of like the movie's getting to a, getting to a close. Let's let's get yep. to that climax. Let's get to that climax. But he finds a copy of Swan's personal contract, which is on a big magnetic reel-to-reel -reel tape. Yes. As it happens, as this happens, a woman named Betty tries to get Swan's attention. She tells others in the crowd that she and Swan went steady in high school twenty years ago. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and she so shows a picture that has Swan looking exactly as he does now. Yes. Now, this might be the other weakest part of the film for me. Okay. Because Paul Williams was 34 when he made this film. Sure. I'm sorry, but as Swan, like I said before, he looks like an upper middle-aged lesbian. Yes. <laughs> looks like he's in his 50s. Sure. And it's not Paul Williams is like look as we're about to see very soon mm -hmm. i think it's sort of like the pseudo page boy haircut mm -hmm. and the glasses i don't like i never bought that like that he was super swan youthful. was like yeah yeah i i the the vibes that i got off of off of him in the movie especially in the scene that we're about to see where we we see him signing his contract uh in the way that he looks in in that footage yeah. is sort of almost a mickey rooney vibe where Mickey Rooney played a young man, like a, like a, he was a constantly in movies called Babes in Arms, Babes doing this, Babes doing that, and he all, 
I don't know about anybody else. Mickey Rooney has always looked like thirty to me, even when he was a, even when he was sure. Young. Uh, so so to I I just kind of like slotted in my brain. It's like okay, he's Mickey Rooney mixed with Justin Bieber and just kind of moved on with it. Any. I can't think about Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. without thinking about The Simpsons and the Radioactive <laughs> Man episode. <laughs> Jiminy Jellickers! Jiminy Jellickers! <laughs> I was the biggest box office draw from 1938 to 1942. Wow, spanning two decades. <laughs> <laughs> I also love how in this scene we get our like fifth literary plot twist where yes. this so hasn't been great. Faust, this hasn't been Phantom, this has been Dorian Gray the entire time. Yes. Right. Yes. Which is great. And I mean, it's intertwined so well. It oh, is. absolutely. It's a wonderful pastiche. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winslow plays the tape. It was recorded in 1953, 10 years before Jack Kennedy would be killed. <laughs> Just something Coincidence? Wow. <laughs> so Swan, Swan killed JFK. We found it out. <laughs> we, we figured it out. We figured it out. <laughs> JFK would not compromise on his rock cantata. <laughs> Oliver Stone on the phone. He was he was the second Swanner. Uh, and Swan in the video, looking more youthful than he does now, even though he's supposed to look exactly the same, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. says he's going to kill himself because he's getting old and he can't stand someone as beautiful as him mm-hmm. decaying. Sure. As he's about to slit his wrist, his reflection, again, great bit of editing, great bit of filmmaking. Yeah. Great bit of acting. Great bit of acting. Oh, my God. Again, this is his peak. Yeah. I was going to wow. say, I laughed at the beginning because it reminded me like Sesame Street, Ernie in the Tub with Robert Duncan. <laughs> and I was like, what are we watching? What is this tape? And then, it, oh, and then I was like, oh, crap. This is like really good acting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's fucking fantastic. Um, his reflection says he could live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his reflection is obviously a manifestation of the devil mm-hmm. who tells him that if he agrees to the terms, this recording that he, he was going to record as suicide, that's how much of a narcissist, how much of a, a showboater, how much about performance Swan is. I think he even mentions in the tape is like, this will be part of the, the archives. archives of the incredible life of the artist known formerly known as Swan. Mm-hmm. But the reflection tells him that this recording will age in it in his place, Dorian Gray, as Ian already yes. mentioned, yep. and he must watch it every day. Also, if the tape is destroyed, so Swan will be. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, what part of the tape is aging? Because he looks young in the tape. Yes. Uh, maybe it's the quality. Maybe it's like I can't imagine it's like the tape itself because it seems relatively in well order the only the only thing that i picked up on is that there's a scene earlier when swan is is outlining the 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 terms of the contract to uh winslow and then he immediately goes into a private room and re-listens to that tape again and his voice sounds different when he hears it back and it's like his voice is normally just this sort of thing but then when he listens to it back his voice sounds like this. Yes, true. Yes, yeah. I did. I forgot. I did write that down. Our old Swan voice is the Swan in picture from Dorian Gray. Yeah, I, I think that that might be it, but I, okay. it wasn't. It wasn't totally clear to me. Now and- I was confused about something here. Is so we know in Winslow's contract, it's if Swan gets stat gets killed, then Winslow dies. 
but right no no it's it's it, the only reason why winslow will die if swan dies is because he killed himself yes oh that's true okay if, if winslow had never inflicted any wounds upon himself presumably once swan died he would be a okay mm -hmm. aside from his horrible disfigurement and being a shitty creep right so when it says here if the tapes are destroyed shouldn't that kill swan right away it that is something that confused me a little bit but uh, it's yeah. as we're as we're about to see i think i think the implication is supposed to be that it simply negates the contract and therefore he would go back to what he was going to be before well and he no, had he hadn't slid his wrists yet so i think he was just going to age up uh, hold on because we'll get to it okay um i see yeah i think you're yeah i think you're right when you said uh, that though yeah okay. Uh, Swan obviously agrees to the deal, and again, Paul Williams is fucking aces in this scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. We also, on this reel, we see Winslow signing the contract, and uh-oh, turns out Phoenix has done it too. Seemingly under the influence of drugs, because she is not, she seems pretty zoned out. She yeah. seemed to either be uh, on drugs or just drunk. Like, either way, she was not taking the situation seriously, and, and that should probably null and void that contract. And here we, we get a very demonic sounding swan, which mm -hmm. I think lends credence to what you're saying. Just sign the contract. There's a also, great line. Oh, there's a great line parallel where like when he's Satan, when Satan's in the bathtub, not with him, but in his reflection and everything. Uh, and he says, don't waste the blood. And then swan mm -hmm. says, which he said to Winslow earlier. And he said to Win oh, he said to Winslow, that's what it was. Yeah. And he's like, don't waste it. And she's like moving her finger around and stuff. And he's like, don't waste it. You have to, I thought yeah. it was a good parallel. Yeah. yeah. That that is great, yeah. Also, I love the the fact that because this is such a late stage twist that the devil is involved, the idea of having Paul Williams also play the devil is one just brilliant, yeah. a brilliant concept of, of like the devil being the evil inside of yourself and therefore a short too. devil. If only the Bible would have thought of it. <laughs> uh, but and then, uh, but also it, it saves on having to have another actor playing the devil and therefore being super distracting to the audience yeah. this this way i honestly wish more movies would just do it this way rather than just like having another actor come in no the reflection idea is is perfect it's, it's brilliant and I again do... it's i'm sure we could mine themes out of this where it's like oh, yeah the reflection of swan being evil May maybe swan was the evil men do oh. <laughs> the real devil was the swans we met along the way <laughs> I do really want to see David Lynch play uh, Satan, though, or the devil. Well, that would be oh, great. my God, yes. I don't care what movie. Hey, how about this, this apple? <laughs> no, I want, it, I want it to be a situation like in, in that uh, George Burns movie, Oh, God, You Devil, where he plays oh. both God and the devil. Yes. And he's just like, they're both smoking cigarettes and just like arguing with each other. Oh, that would be amazing. Or, yeah. Or it could be the devil. It could be the devil tempting christ during that sure, portion sure. Like, hey sunny jim uh, <laughs> you ever think about uh i don't know making a gun <laughs> and kyle mclaughlin is jesus of course yeah. <laughs> oh of course <laughs> yeah no i'm picturing dougie jones kyle mclaughlin is jesus <laughs> <laughs> The meek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> Call for help. Call for help. Um, also, Phoenix is going to be murked on stage by yes. a professional assassin mm -hmm. with a whole ass rifle. Because the, the death of beef 
was did so well for the opening of the paradise now they're going to have a death on live tv this is going to be even bigger news for them and it's going to be even bigger than eddie mitty from jersey city as from the opening it all comes back it's all it's um, all coming back to you just like boomerang oh the eddie murphy movie right I do really like that song a lot more now that I never really understood the parallels of the song because I thought it was just like a cute beach song. But now that you've explained, yeah. I think that song has definitely gone up in my rankings because it kind and of explains sure. Again, uh, this YouTube commenter uh, unveiled it to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Winslow throws some sort of exploding box. <laughs> <laughs> it was the box of dynamite that he had from earlier. It all come it's all coming full circle into the archives, setting it ablaze. Yes. And so uh Swan's contract is burnt up. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what I'm thinking is what happens to the tape is what will happen to Swan as we are about to see. Oh, that kind and of And now sense. I do remember that he wears a mask here. I didn't think about that till now. And that's why he wears the mask in the next scene. Because you can't see his face getting turning old because he's hovered up the entire time. But he doesn't. We'll get to it in a second. Oh, okay. Uh, he wears the mask because there's this weird thing where people have seen Swan's face. Like he gives the press conference earlier without a mask. But there are no like widespread photos of Swan. There's they even make mm -hmm. it a point in the press conference scene where they like they jump people in the crowd who are about to pull out cameras and take pictures of him. That's uh, true. So there, yeah. there is that. So yeah, uh, live TV would definitely be a whole lot of pictures yeah. of of Swan yeah. on stage. Of a weird and wild happening is going on that I'm not even going to try to describe. <laughs> it's some weird uh, bacchanal. Uh, but let's just say this is where we get Phoenix's bird dance. Yes. Yep. There we uh, go. Through this wild party, Galumps Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> she is just galump. <laughs> she is galumping back with all her might, uh, making Lewis Carroll proud. She's having a grand old time. Grand old time. Another oh, literary oh. illusion. <laughs> yeah, another. <laughs> Uh, and another great Muppets illusion when they did Jabberwocky on the Muppet Show, and oh, Ralph go. goes yes. galumping back, galumph, galumph, galumph. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Muppet Show so much. Uh, Winslow has found out about this plot. He moves in fast motion down the corridor. Great mm -hmm. shot. Uh, Phoenix makes her way to the Lotus Blossom, that is the nuptial stage that she and Swan will be wet on. And Swan is wearing this weird Doctor Doom silver mask uh, that kind of looks like his face, but is also firmly in the Uncanny Valley. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I honestly, it took me a while to realize that it wasn't it, that it was a mask and not just him with silver face paint on, because gotcha. it does look so much like Paul Williams' face. The assassin has his sights on Phoenix, but Winslow pulls the gun at the last moment, and thankfully, the only one hit is a bishop. Nope, that <laughs> is Philbin. Was yeah, that that's yeah, 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 Bishop costume in 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 the car? Uh, uh, oh, he, that's he, right. In the I've car, always wanted tells, to be a bishop. He tells I've Philbin, always... like, you, you can marry us. He's like, I always wanted to be a bishop. Yeah, that's right. I forgot, and I love that line when I watched it. Just yeah, like Philbin's it's a great enthusiasm moment. and at then, being a bishop. So he's hey. always wanted to move diagonally. <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong, the Philbin is dead. Thank God. Thank God. Next, Winslow swings down and snatches off Swan's mask. Mm -hmm. And here we get a burnt visage. A weird... It is not aged. It is like 
sort of zombie like sort of which is where I think like since the tape was burned now it's like so you Swan think was burned. he's burned like that's that's a burn ah, thing because he doesn't look also, aged. Also, I just ran now picked up on this. This is an inversion of the classic Phantom of the Opera thing where most versions of the story the climax is the phantom getting unmasked mm -hmm. and in this it's the phantom unmasking his rival in other words oh. kind of raul uh un unmasking him and and revealing his disfigurement for the first time uh and also the element of like uh the the nice looks of paul williams throughout the movie have always been a mask of the evil within sure but everyone reacts in horror to paul williams fucked up face yes I think it would have been just as good as if he if he just looked 20 years older and everyone was just as disgusted. Ooh. Like as like a sort of a commentary on the, yeah. the obsession with youth and right. like the need for youth. And it's just like, oh my God, he's 40. Right. <laughs> I think that that would have been, yeah, that would have been good. Especially since like everyone is so mean to that lady who said that she knew him in high school. Yes. And she looks fine she looks absolutely she fine looks but they're like great you're old enough to be his mother yeah and i'm like I, mean, I, I don't know about that i mean if something <laughs> terrible happened i guess <laughs> <laughs> but yeah oh, here's where i know that swan sort of looks like a fallout ghoul <laughs> <laughs> swan begins to strangle phoenix and the crowd is just still in there like it's a buck and all they're yeah. still just dancing they're, they're, they're freaking reveling uh they don't give a shit that Bishop Philbin is dead. Mm -hmm. um, they probably think it's all part of the, the diocese. What they probably think it's all part of the show still. Yeah. Like the whole thing is, yeah. And we already know that they love death. Absolutely. The crowd loved the death of beef. Yes. Not true. I mean, I love the death of beef, so I oh, guess yeah. I'm, I'm culpable in this as well. <laughs> the music swells. Winslow stabs Swan. And Swan is seized by the, the crowd, and he's lifted aloft, mm -hmm. and it's just like, they're in a frenzy. Again, some Buck and all. They're going to tear them apart. Absolute frenzy. Yeah, this is like some mother-level shit going on. Uh, and Winslow begins to get back the wounds that he inflicted on himself yes. earlier. He crawls to Phoenix. His mask falls off, so you can, and his makeup has really increased in gnarliness since yes. the since he first got his scars. He's got like a weird fucking eye, and he's, yeah, crawling towards Phoenix. And Phoenix is doesn't probably high as fuck. Still doesn't know what the fuck's going on. But she has a moment of clarity where she's yeah. like, "Oh, that's what that creep who was nice to me and yeah. almost got me a job, but he went to jail <laughs> instead." <laughs> Because she, she like, she, after Winslow dies, she goes mm -hmm. and she caresses his face. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is where we end. And we get one last song, which is my second favorite song. I think it's my favorite song. It's my favorite. Yeah. It's, it's my favorite so in the movie. Good. It's, it's so, so good. good. So I must have, good. the first time I watched this, I must have, like, as soon as the credits hit, I was like, okay, it's over. And right. Turn it off. Yeah. Because I don't know how I did not notice that this is a fucking brilliant piece. So this was my favorite song when I watched it when I was 14, the original yeah. one. And I just fell in love with the song. And then I completely forgot about it till I watched this movie again. And it came on and I like audibly screamed. I was like, <laughs> oh, this song. And then I Spotified it like 30 times today. Yeah. So I, good. I started uh, listening to it on repeat too. I, I just want to quickly give my favorite. Uh, verse of the song. Go for it. Born defeated, died in vain, super destructive, you are hooked on pain. And though your music lingers on, 
Well, all of us are glad you're gone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Fucking devastating. Devastating. Yeah. Devastating. Um, and the chorus. Oh, God. I don't have it on the top of my head, but like, uh, bad in bed. Nobody likes yeah. you, and you're better off dead. Goodbye. Goodbye. We've all come to say goodbye. Goodbye. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, perfect send off. I, I love that applies to oh most God. of the characters in this film. Honestly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> No, nobody. Nobody in this movie is a great person. No, and, and I, I love that exactly. That's, uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so that is the and end. also this song plays over what is essentially the a movie, montage, a, 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 a movie credits, a, a movie equivalent of a curtain call where we see all the actors. It and, really and is. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it uh, there are a lot of movies in the seventies used to do this and I really miss it. I, I love like getting to like appreciate each of the actors in turn instead yeah. of having just like a really quick, like bunch of text fly by. Uh, and also it distinguishes the end credits montage from the opening credits montage instead of using that to replace the opening credits yes. montage as modern day movies do. So that is the end of Phantom of the Paradise. Billy, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I fucking love this movie. I'm gonna get it on Blu-ray as fast as I possibly can. I believe Arrow has a release. I'm sure it has of a course bunch of do. great extras. Of course mm-hmm. they do. I, I'm I'm I have a new obsession. I, I love this. Movie it's so fantastic. Much. And it's I, wonderful. I need to show this to Kaylee because she's gonna fucking love she's it. She's gonna too. love it. Mm-hmm. Ian, bring us on home. Uh, any final thoughts? Alrighty. Um, I like I said, this is just a film from my past that I was just like, I remember this quirky, obscure film and everything. <laughs> um, and then I brought it up to I think Brad even before, like maybe during one flu, and was mm-hmm. like at some point just like talking about it. And then um, I looked more into it, and I was like, yeah, no, this is the one. And then when I rewatched it last night, it's like this is probably my top five favorite films of all time. Yeah. It is. Like that, the music is some of the best. The acting, oh my god! And you know, I'm a I'm a fan of literary illusions, and this is the best film I think I've seen as literary illusions. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, this is I. I remember enjoying this on my first watch, mm-hmm. and we often talk about how the note taking watch is a bad time, awful. Yeah. It, Especially it, when you're the one tasked with the plot notes. Yes. Uh, no. Specifically, plot notes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Just observation notes are yeah. fine, but like when you love a movie and you're like, let me break this down. Yeah. Plot point by plot point. It's not a fun time. Let me break down how the sausage got made. And even yeah. though I had to do that this time, and even though it was frustrating because I just wanted to enjoy the movie, I enjoyed the movie more on this watch mm-hmm. than I did my first time. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of that. Maybe you, maybe once you got into the nitty gritty of it, you, you started to appreciate how well constructed everything yeah. was. Yeah. And I think... Uh, I have a habit of watching movies like, okay, I need to check this one off the list. Sure. So I was like, Phantom of the Paradise. I've heard about this for so long, and I'm going to watch it, and I'm just to watch it. Yeah. And now I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, shit, this is really good. This yeah. is much better than, uh, yeah. Yeah. I love how it hasn't aged as well. Um, like, we talked about the special effects and visuals and stuff. Like, they're all still great, and everything is yeah. great. And for the, the Me Too movement... For the Me Too movement, it's it's current right now. Yeah. Everything with the whole scene, and it's not like it's the villain. And also, I think it's like we talk about the casting couch, but like it's also showing casting couch as a bad thing. 
which at that yes, time absolutely. probably was not a thing, right? And so it's yeah. it, there. Are, yeah, that's a good point because there are a lot of movies that were contemporary to this that would have treated that as just like a a quick joke of like, oh, the, the casting director is going to it's going to meet with some <clears throat> hopeful actresses, you know, like that that sort of wink nod bullshit but this is yeah no this movie treats it as an element of horror phoenix's line um i know one we skipped over uh was like are you actually gonna let me sing this time yes, yes. Like, that's a good line too <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely no th this movie is absolutely seething with resentment towards the music industry and yes. i fucking love that I, yeah it's, absolutely. it's fantastic does anyone have any other thoughts uh not the moment i don't think so Ian, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Maybe we can have you back on sometime. I'm sure yeah. there are tons of other films you'd like to talk about. Again, um, he sent you a whole list. So he did. There definitely are. <laughs> he did. Um, <laughs> thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Ian, for joining us. Uh, everybody have a lovely whatever the fuck time it is.